0: K-O-P-N, Columbia, 89.5 FM. My name is Mike Hagan, and this is Radio Orbit. We'll be back in just a few minutes. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN, Columbia, 89.5 FM. That was the music live in the studio, as a matter of fact, with Lucas Klotzbach, my friend Lucas, playing some tunes for us here during this first hour of the program. And We'll be featuring some music for, uh, for the rest of the program as well throughout the night from Lucas. So uh, say hi to Luke in a minute, but let me say first uh, my thanks to Debbie, Debbie Johnson, of course, Free Range Radio Theater. Great stuff as always. It's a wonderful life, and it is. Before that, Kelvin and Jason, doing it up every Monday from 7 until 10. Of course, Debbie's on from 10 until 11, right before this program. But Kelvin and Jason, jazz plus blues equals spit slippery. Tech radio before that, good stuff. Always helping us out with our technological woes and our gadgetry issues. Jeff Wheeler starting things off early. Uncommon Light, 3 to 5 p.m. every Monday. Great radio on KOPN, and I'm very proud to be a part of it. Okay, thanks to everybody who participated last week, and a big thank you to Jack Cole, the executive director of LEAP, L-E-A-P, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Thank you, Jack et al. Uh, A refreshing, much-needed, and welcome position on drugs and drug policy from law enforcement professionals, you know, 7,000 of them. Something like that now. 7,000 strong LEAP is. And this is the real deal. It's, uh, you know, 7,000 may sound like a small organization to some people, but these are all former cops, former DEA, Border Patrol, ATF, customs, military, you name it. You know, these are people who have been at the front line of the so-called war on drugs, which is essentially a war on personal freedom. <clears throat> anyway, if you missed it, it's on the web. W. H A G A N dot com in the program archives. And uh check it out. You'll appreciate the show with Jack Cole last week, alright? Okay, tonight um we'll do a few things up front here. I'm not sure if we'll have enough time for space weather because uh we have some special guests coming our way. Suffice it to say that the solar activity that we've been witnessing over the last couple weeks manifested itself up there in Seattle way over the last few days. They've had a world of trouble up there. Lots of folks still without power. Kent Stedman, uh, Rick Levine affected by it as well. Jay Widener's up there. Dennis up there in, Van- in in Vancouver. They're all up that way. And they all said it was just wild. So anyway, uh, if you're interested in what's happening up there in the skies above your head, check in over at Kent Stedman's site, cyberspaceorbit.com. Always keeping you abreast of things over there at cyberspace orbit and uh, spaceweather.com is another good one to check out if you're interested in that sort of thing. So, uh, we'll probably abbreviate space weather and that's the abbreviation that you just heard. And I'm not sure if we'll have time for news. We'll have some music from, uh, Lucas throughout the program tonight. As I mentioned, Lucas is a, uh, local singer songwriter here in town in uh, central Missouri. We started things off with a song. They're called mother Mary. And, uh, Amazing stuff that he's uh, writing and performing here around town these days. All right. Okay, hello to everybody else listening over the web and uh, over the traditional airwaves. Thank you for listening to the program. We appreciate it. We're streaming the program on the the Internet right now, live and every week, via Cosmic Waves Radio Network. That's www.cosmicwavesradio.com on the web. Thanks to all the girls and guys over there for making it happen for us every Monday, live on the Internet. And thanks to Larry, the wonderful web wizard, as always, Doing great stuff, and um, what he does on the Internet side of this whole business is purely awesome. And I have a tremendous amount of love and appreciation for what he does uh, for for me and for the program and for everybody else out there who's listening and appreciating it and uh, and using the website and all that stuff. It's all Larry. It's all Larry. Very little of that uh, that goes on he is me. You know, it's just amazing what he does. All right, so anyway, check it out. Let me know what you think on the web, like I said, at H A G A N H-A-G-A-N.com, and uh, if you zip on over there, you'll have access to everything that we're doing, and I'd appreciate it if you let me know what you think, all right? We've got a nice bulletin board forum type uh, that's busy and lots of interesting topics being discussed over there all the time, lots of great debate and discussion happening over who knows what, and there's a live chat room that's up and active right now and uh, every Monday during the program. And, of course, the chat room you can use outside of the, you know, uh, the time frame of the live program. You can use that whenever you like. You just got to get more than one person over there. And I guess even one person can use the chat room. You just might be, you know, I don't know. You have to be able to entertain yourself. Anyway, maybe a multiple personality sort. I know some, you know. And, uh, anyway, uh, we'll be peeking in there. In the chat room for questions and for comments throughout the program tonight, and I encourage the guests as well as listeners to participate there. The chat room is great during the program. It's great to look in there and see what people are thinking, and we can respond uh, to the questions and comments that come up there. All right. Okay, real fast. The email address if you want to get a hold of me: orbitradio. o r b i t radio at aol. dot com. On the web: MikeHagan.com. dot com. And uh, let's see what's happening tonight. Jay Widner, going to be awesome. Jay will be with us in about 20 minutes, actually and uh, we're going to start things a little bit earlier than we normally do because we have a couple of other special guests that are going to peek in and out throughout the night tonight. We have Rick Levine that will be joining us toward the front end of the program and uh, John Major Jenkins sometime in between, probably closer to midnight, a little bit after that probably. So anyway, that's uh, coming up for you in just about 20 minutes or so. Let me tell you quick about some upcoming guests, and then we'll have Lucas play another song for us, and then him and I can chat for a few minutes, all right? So tonight, like I said, Jay Widener, John Major Jenkins, Rick Levine coming up in just a bit. Next week, the special Christmas show. Jan Irvin, his partner Andrew Rudiet. And uh, we'll have an interesting conversation with those guys, the authors of Astro Theology and Shamanism. We'll talk about Christmas and, well, some of the history behind Christmas and where some of these, these traditions that we celebrate, where they come from. Santa Claus, Flying Reindeer red and white hats, that sort of thing. Anyway, check it out, the Christmas special next week, December 25th. And uh, we'll have Jan Irvin and Andrew Rudyit, the authors of Astrotheology and Shamanism. Those guys also did that amazing uh, internet video production that they called the Pharmacratic Inquisition. If you haven't checked that out, you really should. I think there's a link for it on my website somewhere, certainly in the forum there is, but just Google or use whatever search engine you, uh, engine you choose, but Check out the Pharmacratic Inquisition. Amazing stuff that those guys did a couple of years ago and actually raised money uh, with that video to, to to do their book, Astro Theology and Shamanism. So, anyway, next week, Jan and Andrew, okay? All right, on the 1st of January, we have a New Year's show as well. Monday happens to fall on the 1st of uh, January, two weeks from tonight. And we'll have Rick Levine. Rick's going to be with us briefly tonight, but Rick, of course, is uh, uh, one of the two main. Cats that runs uh, StarIQ.com and he's an amazing astrologer, as a matter of fact, but uh, an astrologer with a science background, as a matter of fact. So, anyway, quantum astrology is the uh, the piece of work that he did with Jay Weidner, as a matter of fact. It's amazing this DVD that those guys put out. Anyway, we'll have Rick on the first of January, okay? Stephen Buhner. On the 8th, week after that, Dr. Kevin Warwick on the 15th of January. Kevin Warwick, this guy's a trip. He is a, a, a renowned scientist in in the United Kingdom, in England, and uh, he has been for many years, but he's very into uh, cybernetics, I and mean, he's used his own body to implant all kinds of different devices, and he did the same thing with his wife, and they both have neural implants, and they he and his wife communicate telepathically, essentially, Uh <laughs> and so we'll talk with him on January 15th about what that's all about. It's really weird like he talks about how he moves his arm and his wife says stop doing that. I you know, and <laughs> very very weird stuff that's going on. But Kevin Warwick, I mean he's like, you know, a total genius PhD uh, uh professor at at uh, Reading University as a matter of fact, you know, one of the most uh, respected institutions there in England, but the guy's uh, a real live Cyborg, I guess. So we'll have that in a few weeks. Star and Michael back on the 22nd of January. The wonderful artist Paul Lafley coming up very soon. I haven't quite nailed down the date, but trust me, that's going to be a great one. I mean, he's up there with Alex Gray, you know, maybe uh, maybe floating even above there. I'm not sure, but Paul Lafley, certainly amazing artwork, and um, looking forward to having Paul on the program. Jim Beard, my friend, and wonderful Lakota Elder, Colorado actually making his way in Phoenix right now. we will be talking to us in a few weeks. We've got Patrick Flanagan. Lots of good stuff. Okay. All right. So um, let's take a little break here. We'll have Lucas play a song for us. And uh, might as well say hi. I haven't said hi yet. Hi, Lucas. How you all doing out there? Thanks for having me on again, Mike. Ah, you're welcome. It's great to have you. And um, let's see. I, I mentioned... Uh, off the bat, the first time you played was called Mother Mary, is that right? That's right. That's up on your MySpace right, uh, your MySpace page right now. Yes, it is. Let me give that out. It's uh, on the web. You can link over there from my site at MikeHagan.com, but if you ever want to check out Lucas, go to MySpace.com slash Klotzbach, K-L-O-T-Z-B-A-C-H, and he's got a couple tunes up there uh, that you can listen to and... Um, Uh, see some of the other people that he's networked actually uh, around town and around the country. So, Anyway, great stuff, Mother Mary. Is that a new one? or No, that's something you've... That's something I've been working with
1: for about actually over a year now.
0: Uh Wow, coming along. That was really nice. What are you going to play for us now?
1: Uh, This next one is a song called Pictures of Wolves. It's another one that took a long time to get together, but I think I finally got it where I want it.
0: All right, look forward to it. Pictures of Wolves, everybody. This is Lucas Klotzbach. We'll be back in just a minute. It's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia.
2: Honey, don't wear your steel coat. Baby, don't forget your ring. Bring your lantern, your pocket knife kerosene. I will forgive you But hanging dead birds in a parlor with a rusty nail. If you forgive me for fetching more water from the bottom of the well. Just cast in all your pennies, cross yourself and kneel, and we shall swim across the deep sea. In the belly of a whale Once brought me to a south so deep. I could no longer see the North Country I was buried in the teeth of a promised land And through the fog and haze I saw you standing there With a can full of gas And a book of matches in your hand But I was not quick to come when you called For I knew all you wanted was to set me down in the corner and cut up all my
0: Everybody, Lucas Klotzbach, wonderful stuff. What's the name of that song? That
1: one is Pictures of Wolves.
0: Pictures of Wolves. That's the first time I've heard that. It's awesome. Thank you. All right. Uh, so, Lucas, let's talk a little bit about what's going on. You've been playing around town quite a bit. There have been a lot of singer-songwriter things happening over the last couple months. I've seen you out a couple times, and I know you've been out yeah. more times than I've seen you. So what's uh, what's going on?
1: Well, to uh, catch you up. I played a couple of great shows at the beginning of last month. In November, I did a songwriter showcase, and then the next night, I did a show with a couple of great bands. I'd like to mention White Whale out of Lawrence, Kansas, mm-hmm. and This Alibi from Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. And that was that was one of the best shows I've been involved with.
0: I don't know White Whale, but I know This Alibi. He's come through here before. They actually did a show at the Fugue a while back, and I think that they're, I think they're going to make Columbia sort of a regular stop. Yeah, they
1: they were just back in last. Last Saturday, I think.
0: Oh, okay. So I missed it. Yeah, but I knew they were, I knew they, were they. were at Mojo's, maybe. Yeah, I don't remember. I went to the show. I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was, was at Mojo's because I remember Lizzie West was at uh, at the Fugue, and I was trying to decide which uh, show I was going to go to. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so w- w- when when did you play with those guys? That was on uh, November 10th. Where was that? Was that here in town? That was
1: here at the Fugue.
0: Yeah, all right. What's White Whale like?
1: White Whale is a great indie rock band. Very great players all the way through, great vocalists. There's there's some guys in there that I I was acquainted with when I lived in Fayetteville, Arkansas that just kind of kept in touch with here and there. And Were they out of there, out of Lawrence? They're out of Lawrence, Kansas. And What's happening in Lawrence? That's quite a scene there, huh? Apparently. I, I've never been able to make it over there, but I know there's some great bands and great venues. And
0: Yeah, I hear more and more of those guys coming through here and people talking about the bands coming out of Lawrence, so... Hmm interesting what is what what else going around town here you still uh i know casey and uh, michael kane you did a couple shows with those guys
1: at uh, caulfield and the magic mm-hmm. and did a i think that was the team photo benefit show hmm. for i think that's a photography club at mu that was a great lineup too that was caulfield and the magic and the pale family and john henry and the engine i think we we're up at that one
0: yeah john henry and the engine they're they're uh they're a fun band, too, yeah. around town these days. All right. Well, cool. Well, look, um, I'm going to do a couple pieces out of the news here, and then uh, we'll come back and have you play another song for us, and then we'll bring Jay on the air in a few minutes. All right? That Sounds good. good. All right, everybody, it's Lucas Klotzbach. One more time on the web, you can find out a little bit more about Lucas uh, on MySpace. Just go to myspace.com slash K-L-O-T-Z-B-A-C-H. And you can also just go to my music archives and you can link over there from uh, from there. We've got some stuff up from, from Lucas on my uh, music archives over there at MikeHagan.com, all right? Okay, uh, let's see. What's happening here that I wanted to mention? Preparing for the biggest experiment on Earth. Listen to this. These are the ones that I like to make fun of. You guys should know this by now. Uh, let's see. An international team... Of over 2,000 scientists, led by Professor Tejinder Verde from Imperial College in London, of course. How fitting. Uh, London's Department of Physics is stepping up preparations for the world's largest ever physics experiment. Starting next year at CERN. This is C-E-R-N. That's an acronym for something. I forget exactly what. But anyway, it's a big, giant atom smasher particle accelerator in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. Anyway, listen to this. Professor Verdi is the lead scientist on the Compact Muon Solenoid Particle Detector Experiment. That's the Compact Muon Solenoid, CMS for short, okay, if you're in the know. Uh, The particle detector experiment, which will aim to find new particles, yet more new particles. Yet more new particles. How exciting. Uh, detect mini black holes and solve some of the mysteries of the universe, such as where mass comes from and how many dimensions there are and what constitutes dark matter, assuming that dark matter really exists. Right? Particles are the building blocks of matter and are even smaller than atoms. Well, okay. Scientists hope that the CMS experiment may also help them progress toward a unified theory to explain all physical phenomena, a theory that has eluded scientists up until now, and will continue to, I might add. These are the greatest. You should see the picture of this thing. You know, the only thing I can compare it to that people might be familiar with is, you know, the scale of the thing that they built in uh, the movie Contact with Jodie Foster and you know, Carl Sagan's book? that big gigantic uh, contraption that they built to try to catapult Jody across time that's about what this thing looks like i mean it's that that's the sort of scale of the thing that we're talking about here to detect some new particles all right and uh and they're going to help us you know solve some mysteries of the universe here's one mystery of the universe this is actually something that uh it's fitting that Jay's on the air on the line at least cuz he'll probably remember this but terrence mckenna Our old friend said something one time about uh, particle physics. And he had a friend, I forget who it was exactly, but he was at a conference with, not, not, not dissimilar from this thing that we're talking about right here. And this guy was at the conference, at the press conference afterwards, and all the physicists were up there talking about, you know, they just discovered the Higgs boson particle or some other nonsense the latest, greatest, smallest particle around. You know, it was the atom for a while. First it was like who knows what, but, you know, even the classical Greeks had, you know, an atomic vision of uh, of physics. We just keep going smaller and smaller and smaller, you know. Sort of like when you go out into the universe, you just go bigger and bigger and bigger, and you keep looking for the edge, but you never find it. I think the same thing happens when you go inward. You're going to keep finding and naming as many little... You know, whiz bangs as you want to find, I guess, but I don't know what good it is. So anyway, back to the story. This guy uh, at the press conference, while all these guys up there on the stage were, uh, you know, congratulating each other on just discovering this latest new particle, uh, when the press uh, was allowed to ask questions, this gentleman said, "Hey, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to ask um, any of you up there on the panel to name one thing, one item." One piece of technology, one thing that has trickled down from particle physics to the average human being and made a difference in their lives. <laughs> and you know what? They were stunned. No one had an answer. Because it's worthless silliness. A bunch of monkeys blowing things up and smashing things together trying to determine the the, the nature of the universe. Well, where is it written that the talking monkeys are supposed to have a perfect and full understanding of the workings of the universe. I don't know. I didn't read that book. You know, Maybe I don't know enough about muons. Anyway, that's a big one. Okay, How many billions are they wasting on this crap? What else do we got going on here? The Art of Deception Revealed. That's a fitting story to follow that last one. The great fake psychics are great improvisationists. So are the great fake scientists. This means that a really good... That was my addition there, by the way. Uh, This means that a really good pseudo-psychic is able to produce phenomena under almost any circumstance. This is great. You can just just substitute the word scientist for psychic here. And the the story works just as well. Uh, A quick mind and a good knowledge of the techniques and psychology of deception are all that is needed. You could put government employee in there as well, maybe. Lots of things work in this story. Sometimes only a quick mind is enough. Well, I don't know. All right, uh, that's enough of me ranting and raving for a minute. We'll take a break here and uh, have Lucas play another song for us, and then we'll bring Jay Widener on and talk with Jay for a little while. We've got Rick Levine's going to join us in probably 15 minutes or so. We'll talk with Rick for a little while. We've got plenty of time with Jay tonight, and probably John Major Jenkins might be joining us a little bit later to chat a little bit. So lots going on. And uh, we'll get to that in just a few minutes, okay? All right, it's Mike, and uh, you're listening to KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM, and this is Radio Orbit. This is also Lucas Klotzbach. What do you got for us, Lucas? Uh,
1: This is a song called Tomorrow Is Near.
2: judge has left his quarters, the baton cat has been brought to slaughter, and the Baptist has lost his head, the well water is running red, and all the saints have marched in and
0: Clappers here now. We got a whole gang out there that wanted to come in, but we wouldn't open the door while Lucas was playing. So, anyway, uh, great stuff. Thank you, Lucas.
2: Thank you. All
0: right, everybody. It's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit KOPN Columbia. Let's see. Let's move along here. Lucas, be back in a minute, okay? All right. Jay Widner. Jay Widener. He's an author, filmmaker, an hermetic scholar, an expert on the art and the science of alchemy. He's an expert on pre-Christian Gnostic tradition. Of course, he's the co author of The Mysteries of the Great Cross at Henday, Alchemy and the End of Time. He's also produced and directed many documentary films, among which is 2012 The Odyssey, one that we'll be speaking about tonight. He's a good friend here at Orbit and always a highly anticipated guest. So, as always, a big thank you and a welcome to Jay Widener. Jay, hi. Thanks for being here.
3: Hey, it's my pleasure, Mike. How are you? I'm great.
0: All right, good. So, um, what's the latest, my friend? We're, uh, you got power there in Seattle, at least, huh?
3: Uh, yeah, we've been through the most hellacious uh, six weeks of weather that I've <coughs> I've ever seen uh, here, and uh, I guess it's proof that global warming is 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 here because the rest of the country is uh, going through a gigantic heat wave, and uh, we're going through one huge storm after another. And uh, it just don't seem to end. Although we're being promised that El Nino is on its way and we're about to turn to California-type weather for all of January and February. So we'll yeah. see.
0: Yeah, it's pretty strange. You know, I have the, you know a few friends up there in, in, around Seattle, and everybody said that it was just outrageous what's happened over the last few days. That just, just
3: uh, uh, We had hurricane force winds um, literally uh, blowing... Uh, I have a glass table that must weigh about a uh, 90 pounds on my porch, and blew into the house, shattered the table, uh, chairs flying, trash cans flying. I think I saw a cat fly by. <laughs> um, my, my goodness, you know, I don't know what's going on. And then, it, it, and just one after another, it's a third windstorm in a row wow. coming off the Pacific. So I don't know. I hope it's over for a while because, frankly, we're all a little fatigued out here.
0: Wow. You got power. Are, are there still a lot of people without power?
3: Yeah, a lot of people without power. People are dying of carbon monoxide poisoning. So, you know, when the power goes out, you know, don't bring the generator in the house, um, people. Oh, I mean, no, come uh,
0: on. Yeah. You know,
3: I'm, I mean, like like, uh, I don't know what I mean, people are thinking of these days. It's but, the,
0: Darwin, the Darwin
3: thing. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, you, know? um, yeah, so you make a mistake and then your species disappears. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, I guess carbon dioxide is getting us on all levels, you know.
3: It or, is, but, you know, you know. also there is good news because those guys in, in Switzerland that are looking for the, the mini black hole, <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: all they really have to do is go to Pennsylvania Avenue and in Washington, D.C. They'll find one right there, you know.
0: <laughs> and it's getting bigger all the
3: time. <laughs> yes. Well, no, it's a mini black hole. But, you know, it's definitely a black hole, and oh, everything yeah. seems to be falling into it. So.
2: Oh, my God. That's a-
3: yeah. <laughs> But you know, George Bush is really the perfect president for the uh for this time period. So I don't wanna chastise him too much because he's helping everything happen even quicker than it was anticipated.
0: Yeah, just sort of sort of pushing things along. I think there's there's actually some psychologist that one of my listeners sent me a note about that said, Yeah, George Bush is actually From a from a Jungian standpoint or something, you know, a a perfect catalyst for everything that's supposed to be happening. So, you know, I agree. I agree.
3: Well, you know, disaster brings uh, consciousness. People don't realize that. But if you ever talk to anyone who's ever been in Mm. in war, they'll tell you that, you know, that they felt more alive uh, than they ever felt before, more aware than they ever felt before in the midst of a battle. Mm. One time I was hiking in the mountains in California and by myself in the middle of the night and uh, stopped to take a drink of water. and I thought I heard a baby cry about 20 feet away from me in the woods. Yeah. And I thought, oh my goodness, there is you know, a baby out in the woods. So I walked towards this sound and it turned out that it was about a seven foot long mountain lion and it began tracking me as i as i quickly walked back to my automobile which was about 10 miles away and uh, it paralleled me the whole trip no way and i've never been more alive in my whole life than, than hmm. that night so disaster brings consciousness nearing disaster and nearing a catastrophe brings awareness and uh, so i think that's really what's going on today is we're we're nearing a series of of connected catastrophes. And as we approach these catastrophes, our awareness increases. Mm. This may actually even be the catalyst for evolution. As a species nears its demise, it begins working out on its own what caused its demise and possibly sends forth messages into the future so that the species is improved. And, I, you know, this is... a uh, all this that's going on is part of part of the end uh of time and part of the uh the finality of this age that is gratefully coming to a close i think
0: wow it's amazing because you know you mentioned evolution and it you know it, it does appear that most monkeys you know they they perform best under pressure but when the pressure is not really high they just sort of kick back and uh yeah. you know
3: they do. This is exactly right. Uh, so the human race is is, is forced it, itself into a corner where we have to think our way out of this, or or we will reach you know a level high levels of extinction. And uh, so we're burning the gray matter right now, trying to figure a way out. And. Uh, we can't depend on our politicians. Uh, they're going to increase the troops in Iraq. They're saying now. You know, we thought that when they voted in the Democrats that that was going to get us out of the war, but instead they're escalating the war. And uh, so, you know, we can't rely on politicians anymore. We can't rely on the scientists, like you were saying.
0: No, oh, I mean, how how many times do you have to be deceived and let down and lied to, or whatever? I mean, it's like you, this is uh, not the place where the answers are going to come are going to no. come from I mean my gosh
3: No we have to learn that we have to learn that that they're not going to provide answers so that we no longer even have to hope that they're going to provide answers and then we won't be all um happy everyone is celebrating you know that the democrats won and I'm going to myself well this <laughs> is nothing is going to change Right <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, you think there's going to be some glorious revolution or something. Right. And it never happens and it won't happen because we're looking at the wrong end of things. Politicians are the bottom of the ladder. Uh, you know, the first oh. people to receive yeah. information are your mystics. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the second group of people to receive new information are the artists. The third group of people are the scientists, and the last group of people are the politicians.
0: Yeah, you know it's weird. We have a system that that sort of the the least among us move, t- you know, to leadership positions. For yes. it's very strange. I mean, because they really are the least intelligent, the least creative, the least visionary, the least of all these things.
3: And in the end, everything boils down to politics. So it becomes very, uh, it becomes a extremely dichotomous situation huh. because. You need the politicians to move, and they're not smart enough to make any decisions that mean anything. And so the true revolutionary act is is, is within the the mystics and the artists. They're the ones who are really doing the the serious work right now, and... um, you know, they live out on the edge, and they can see the wave coming at them before anyone else.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what's happening. That's funny. You know, my, my friend, Kent Steadman, who's up there in Seattle, too, he, says, uh, he said to me a couple of years ago, I think it was it actually was shortly after 9-11, and he said, Mike, forget about the politicians. Now it's the wizards and the magicians and the warlocks that are fighting it out.
3: <laughs> that's exactly right. That it's really true. And the more you get into realpolitik, the more you realize that it's the wizards and the warlocks, mm-hmm. and that there's incredible um, stage magic happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, two of the, two of the big films of the, last, uh, of the last five or six months, well, I don't know if they're big films, but they're interesting films. One is called The Illusionist, mm-hmm. which is a very interesting film if you haven't seen it. And the other one is called Prestige.
0: Mm, I haven't seen either.
3: Oh uh, well, these are two movies that are very good. I highly recommend them, and they're about stage magicians. Hmm. And both of these stage, uh, both of these films are based around the fact that everybody is completely fooled by these by these stage magicians. Mm-hmm. And these guys are bending reality, changing the politics. Tesla, played by David Bowie, makes an appearance in Prestige. Interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting film, Prestige, done by the guy who did Batman Begins, uh-huh. Christopher Nolan, who's one hell of a director. Wow, All right. And, um, and, and he also did um, Memento. And uh, these films are, are, are interesting because they're coming out now, and they seem to be saying that we can be fooled, easily fooled, by uh, by stage magicians. And then you look at at kind of what's going on in the world around us, and we realize that, really, we have been fooled by stage magic. And that's really, everything that's going on is kind of a a trick, a stage magic trick. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that these films are coming out now and that they're describing stage magic as being something more powerful than we've ever really thought about it as before. And, in fact... That is the governing principle of politics today, is a kind of stage magic. Right,
0: right. Amazing. All right. Hey, look, uh, Jay, we're going to take sort of a quick break here, okay? I told uh, Rick that I'd give him a call. I'm going to get him on the line here, and we'll come back and talk with Rick Levine for a few minutes, all right? All right. All right, everybody. And uh, after that, we'll uh, continue things with Jay. We'll be speaking for the next couple hours and 15 minutes. We've got plenty of time to get into things like we always do, so stick around. going to be a great conversation, so... Uh, All right, everybody, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOP on Columbia, 89.5 FM. We've got Lucas Klotz back here. Lucas is going to play another song for us here, and I'll uh, grab the telephone, and we'll come back with Jay and Rick Levine in just a few minutes. Lucas, what are you going to play for us here? A song called
1: Lullaby for the Lost. It's going to be the closing song on an album I've been working on the last couple of weeks. Awesome. That hopefully will be out February or March, if everything goes right. All right, look forward to it.
2: And with me, write your last goodbyes, tell all my secret loves I never.
0: That's bad you righty, thank you Lucas. I don't know if we'll have time for another one at the top of the hour or not I've got your c d here I think we're probably better off saying yeah. goodbye all right um but we'll play some more stuff throughout the program tonight let's uh what do you got coming up Lucas
1: I uh, got another sh- my next show is gonna be at the Blue Fugue on december twenty seventh
0: okay, just a few uh, days
1: from now just a few days be opening up for the Gold Bugs, another great local band here in mm-hmm. Columbia. I know there's another band on the on the bill,
0: but I can't remember who they are right now. All right, well, we'll uh, check it out. That's the twenty seventh at the Blue Fugue, and um, enjoy the holidays. Lucas. Okay? Thank you, you too. Talk to you soon. All right everybody, that's Lucas Klotzbach, Wonderful Music, and you can check him out on the web as well at myspace.com slash Klotzbach. K L O T Z B A C H And you'll always be able to link over to uh, Lucas' information from the music archives over there at MikeHagan.com. All right? Okay, uh, let's get back to it here. We've got Jay Widener on the line with us from Seattle. And uh, we also have a special guest uh, popping in here, Rick Levine. Rick is one of the proprietaries over there at uh, StarIQ.com. He's uh, been on the program before. He's done some work with Jay in the past. Did an amazing video called Quantum Astrology. Maybe we can chat a little bit with that. Uh, about that with the guys here in a second, but uh, let 's say hi to Rick and Jay hi Rick
4: hi Jay hey Mike. Nice to be here. <laughs> Am I joining a party already in process?
0: It is we got one going on here. We got you and me and Jay on the phone. I got lucas and uh and uh, a couple other friends here in the st- in the studio with me, so we got it all going on it 's not even new year's yet.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we don't have to stop between now and New
0: Year's. No reason to, right? Mm-hmm. Not unless they give us one. Jay's had some. Well, you've had weather too. Hey, Jay, you still with us, here?
3: Uh, I am. I'm waiting for Rick to break out the crevassier. <laughs> yeah, it could happen any moment. Uh, you know, that that, that, that that's a
4: cy- cyber crevassier that we have to break out right now. Uh, yes. Actually, uh, I think Jay and I are on opposite ends of this little little weather cell that we've had. Um, but uh, I was without power for a bit, and people all around me are still without power. There's about a quarter of a million people that five nights later, um, after it hit, are still powerless.
0: Where, where are you, Rick? Northern California?
4: No, I'm, I'm outside of Seattle.
0: Oh, all right. I'm
4: on the other side of Seattle. Oh, J- J- all right. Jay's all right. on the ocean side of Seattle, and I'm on the inland side of Seattle in Redmond, Washington, uh-huh. where I share the turf with Bill Gates. Oh, boy. Yeah, he has all the money. I have all the fun.
0: <laughs> You're better off than he. All right. So, look, uh, Rick, uh, we wanted to get a chance to talk briefly on the air. We're going to do the show on the 1st of January. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, between now and then, what do you got going on? There's a lot going on in your world.
4: Well, I um, wanted mostly to get a chance before the uh, uh, Christmas holidays hit to make sure that your listeners knew that there was not only the video that Jay... Uh, Jay's company produced, uh, Sacred Mysteries produced, which you already mentioned, the uh, Quantum Astrology uh, DVD, that is, but also uh, my new book, Your Astrology Guide 2007, uh, which I co-authored with Jeff Jauer, Mm -hmm. is now sitting on the front checkout counters of Barnes and Nobles around the country and also available at Amazon.com or BN.com. And so I wanted to get a chance to mention that along the way.
0: All right. Well, what's uh, what are you seeing for uh, for 2007?
4: Well, you know, the when we look at a year at a time in generalities, we're looking at the outer planet movements, mm-hmm. and uh, I think the the key pieces of 2007 are the fact that Jupiter, the planet of opportunity and expansion and big thinking, um, Jupiter which has, throughout this past year, been in Scorpio, where it's expanded our need for meaning and some of the intensity um, around human emotions and feelings. Jupiter now has moved into Sagittarius, where it will be all next year, and we're having a bit of a Sagittarius party right now up in the sky. Sagittarius is one of those signs that astrologers tend to say is a good sign because it's usually about adventure and party and philosophy and higher education. But I think that this storm here in Seattle over the last week is a good indication that, um, in you know, in all reference to May West, who said too much of a good thing is a good thing. Not always. Too much wind or too much storm or too much something is not necessarily good, and I think that's one of the things we'll need to watch out for next
0: year. Okay. Hey, Jay, uh, Rick is involved in a couple of productions that you've made. He certainly did uh, Quantum Astrology that you uh, produced, and he's also in 2012 The Odyssey. Maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, your experience with Rick.
3: Well, uh, Rick, uh, uh, we shot a whole lot of stuff with Rick uh, that were most of it's going in the sequel because it has to do with the differences between the solar and the lunar calendar and Jose Arguelles' work about how a lunar calendar will undermine the uh, technocratic state mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. world and induce a kind of a new paradigm, and uh, Rick had some incredible things to say about that, and they're going to be in the sequel. We couldn't get it into the original because it was too convoluted and too long. It was 15, 20 extra minutes, and it was just too long. So Rick Rick got a little shortened in in the first film, but what he had to say is uproarious and uh, gets a a huge laugh every time that we play the film. And... um, of course Rick says, "Don't cancel your appointments for twenty thirteen and I think he's right. I don't think we should think that the end of the world is at hand. I don't think that's what twenty twelve is about at all I think it's it's just a marking point and that the change is happening right now and we're going through it all right now and it's we're just in the last six years of this thing and I think that's what it's really about, and I think that uh, when the sequel comes out next year, you'll see a lot more of Rick in it, and uh, you'll get some insights into the, into the differences between the lunar and the solar calendar, and why you know, the Hindus and the Jews and the Islam and so many great cultures have a lunar-based calendar, and what the difference is. And the differences are quite amazing.
4: Well, the, the, the biggest apparent difference is that it's really tough to run an army (laughs) and or airport or train schedules on a lunar calendar. That's right. That's where the solar calendar um, uh, shows its strength, and it may be one of the reasons why the Romans were able to dominate the um, quote-unquote known world at that time was because he who controls the understanding of time also can control the nation-state. Amen.
3: That is for sure. And I think that America... Is the Rome of today? It is, and, and yes, and we, we have a Mithraic type of of politics, very similar to the Roman, in fact, the Neocons name their plan, you know, Pax Americana, mm-hmm, and
5: mm-hmm.
3: they're basing it pretty much on the Roman plan for conquering the world, Pax Romana. And I think that's no accident.
4: yeah, I, I think a good case could be made. For the concept that the Roman Empire never did fall or decline, Mm -hmm. it simply metamorphosed into a a civilization that had its centers at various points in Europe, uh, most notably perhaps in London as it dominated the world, and then perhaps the power center moved from London to Washington, D.C., but it's still basically the same ideals, the same legal structure, and the same concepts that... Uh, that Rome, you know, uh, foistered upon the world.
3: No, that's certainly what Philip K. Dick thought. Huh. He thought that the world had never really lost the, the Roman power and that it just changed its name and its identity and its religion. And I think that's absolutely right. What, and
4: and, and the truth is that, that, that um, I'm not an expert in the Mayan calendar. I really shouldn't have had more uh... visibility in the two thousand twelve um odyssey movie Um that should have been left to those experts however my perspective is a perspective on time i do have a good understanding of time quite frankly um astrology does support the concept of these huge changes that are unfolding now and up through uh... two thousand eleven twelve thirteen uh huge huge changes but as jay said earlier um, many people misunderstand this that it 's all going down on one afternoon. Right. I think it 's pretty mm-hmm. egocentric to think and that, and we wouldn 't be the first people to think this, but it 's pretty egocentric to think that it 's all going to go down in your lifetime right right
0: right well, you know the calendar thing you guys is really interesting if you you know if you look in historical references and you find out what happens when you know when when certain civilizations conquer other ones, you know one of the first things they do. Is replace the calendar because, as you say, they have to define the way that time uh, is is looked at in those in those cultures. You know mm-hmm. that what was it? What was the book that Jose did? Jay, uh, time in the Technosphere.
3: Wonderful book. Amazing
0: yeah. book. Time in the Technosphere by Jose Arguez, and he talks a lot about the 13 moon calendar versus the Gregorian calendar. And certainly, you know, the, the fact that we still use the Gregorian calendar supports both of your ideas that you know the Roman Empire is basically still. Uh,
4: well, you know, an interesting aside is that when Pope Gregory, I mean, the calendar, um, was in trouble through uh, the 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th centuries, because year by year, um, because of the procession of the equinox, spring was moving closer and closer toward the middle of summer. Yeah. and you know the first day of spring in other words the right, calendar was right, yeah. was slipping and so Pope Gregory comes along with this whole idea of um, it wasn't his idea but he um, kind of stood behind this idea to use the church as a way of regaining its authority by re-ta- you know taking control of the calendar and as you may know during those years that was the time of first the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation in Germany um, our uh, um, fellow Johann Kepler was a key player in the mathematics and timekeeping of the Germans at that time being a personal advisor on time to uh, Rudolph um, of you know the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire at the time and Kepler got involved in the controversy because you see the Germans the Protestant Germans wanted nothing to do with the pope's catholic calendar hmm. and Kepler went on record because he was quite an amazing guy to step beyond the religious squabbles And he said, basically, that Germany had to accept the Catholic calendar, even though it was being put on them by Catholics, and he was a Protestant. He said Germans would just go down in history looking stupid (laughs) because they didn't accept
3: the calendar that made the most sense.
5: Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) It's
3: hilarious. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you know, the whole thing is is, uh, uh, kind of... uh, A nightmare in my view uh, fostered on us by these powers of what i call the the colonization of the mind Mm. and by controlling time they colonize our minds and uh, we have to uh, break free of that and i think that's what the lunar calendar and jose's whole idea is is to create a more fluid uh, view of time and a less rigid view. And and Rick is absolutely right. You know, the planes won't run on time. Mm -hmm. Armies won't get to the battlefield on time. Football games won't start on time. And uh, that's that's really Jose's whole uh, ballywick is to undermine the entire society by inducing this kind of lunar calendar.
4: Well, and one of the brilliances of the not just the lunar calendar but of the Mayan calendar in particular is this: what it does is it pulls the rug out from underneath a very important basis that we have by which we measure all time. Now, you see, because the Mayan calendar is not just a lunar calendar. It's based more complexly on the feminine rhythms of the moon and of Venus. And therefore, one of the things that gets lost is this idea of a seven-day week. You know, that for us is sacrosanct. You know, we have seven days in a week, seven planets, you know, visible planets in the sky. Um, even the ancient measurements of the new moon and full moon divided in half to give us a fortnight and then divided in half again to give us a week. You know, we take the week for granted, and it's like it, it's in all modern cultures, and yet it's not the only way to divide up time. It limits our view.
3: All right. right. Amazing. And and we can, you know, once once uh, w- what what Jose is trying to do is to feminize the calendar. And uh, once you begin understanding the what he's really saying, you realize it's really one of the most subversive ideas uh, <laughs> That's ever encountered. A, yeah, to great Trojan horse sort of. Well, the bottom it's line so. is is that it's
4: really hard to track a menstrual cycle or a cycle of emotions or feelings on a solar calendar. That's it gets right. subsumed. It gets lost.
3: That's right. And that's what our society and our culture is losing: is is this is feeling. We no longer feel when we um, attack and and create wars and Mm -hmm. dump pollution into rivers. We're no longer empathizing with the people that are being affected. We're just kind of we've become callous. Mm -hmm. And this is. You know, according to Jose, a direct result of the solar calendar.
4: In fact, I believe that if modern medicine and the pharmaceutical industry could figure out a way through a pill to induce a thirty and thirty-one day menstrual cycle, it would be a heck of a <laughs> lot more convenient than 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 the lousy twenty-eight because it just doesn't
0: work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, look, look, you guys, I, I, already, I already missed my top of the hour, so uh, Rick. One more time, let's let's give out the website address and uh, how people can get the book, and um, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll catch up with you in a week and or in two weeks. Sure.
4: Well, you know, for a website, the best place to find all my astrological writing is on Tarot, T-A-R-O-T, Tarot.com. Right. My daily column is now the daily column on AOL. It's the column on MySpace. It's on the new Google homepage. It's all over the net. You Google Rick Levine, you'll find me. The book, however, is available at Barnes & Noble's all around the country, Your Astrology Guide 2007 and it's discover your future with, and I'm not making this up, I'm reading it off the book, the world's most accurate astrology team. We tried to get them to say the galaxy's most uh, <laughs> uh, accurate astrology team, but they wouldn't go for it. It's a marketing department decision, Yeah, you
0: yeah know. They'd have to put as far as we know at the bottom.
4: <laughs> but it's Your Astrology Guide 2007, available on Barnes & Noble, bn.com or at amazon.com by Rick Levine and Jeff Jower.
0: All right, Rick. Thanks a lot, and um, we'll uh, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks right? It's
4: great being able to bust into your party for a little bit.
0: No problem. You're welcome here. Okay. Good night. See you, Rick. Good night, Rick. All right, uh, Jay, let's take a quick break. I'll get John on the line, and we'll speak with him for a little bit. How about that? Sounds great. All right, sounds good. Everybody, it's Mike. you listen to Radio Orb at KOPN Columbia. Just a few minutes after midnight now on the 19th of January, we've got Jay Widner, the wonderful Jay Widener, on the line with us from his place in Seattle. That was Rick Levine. He's in Seattle as well, and uh, or thereabouts, and we'll have John Major Jenkins with us in just a few minutes here. All right, this is one more from um, from Lucas, and this is called "For a Cure." It's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit back in just a minute. That's for a cure. One more from Lucas Klotzbach. and Lucas is sitting here with me one more time. Thought you'd stepped out the door, but I figured we'd grab him before he left. Hey, Lucas. Hey, how you doing? Thanks, man. That's a CD. That's something from your CD that I haven't heard before. So we'll hear a couple more from that as we go on tonight. When when did you produce that CD? Uh, I made that
1: made that during the summer and fall of 2004. Right. It's kind of a home recording experiment. Huh. Uh,
0: that's the first time I heard you play a little electric guitar in the background there. So, All right, uh, hold on just a second, okay, Lucas? Let me get uh, Jay and John back here. Uh, first of all, to everybody out there, uh, it's Mike, you're listening to Radio Orbit, and I want to say thanks uh, to Jay for sharing some time here with, with Rick uh, beforehand there and with John Major Jenkins now for a few minutes. We've got uh, a lot to talk about, and um, it's a pleasure to be able to do it with all these guys at the same time. So, so Jay, first of all, thanks a whole lot, man.
3: Uh, no problem.
0: All right, and John, uh, without uh, any introduction, none really required at this point, John Major Jenkins, how are you?
6: Oh, pretty good. Hi, Mike. Hi, Jay. Hey, <laughs> and
0: John, also, uh, Lucas, if you remember, played some music the last time you were on the air, and he wanted to say hi as well. So
6: Yes, Lucas, I, I love your music. It's great stuff.
0: Oh, thanks a lot, John.
1: just wanted to say hi. I'm looking forward to hearing you. i got to step out of the studio, but I'm going to have you on the radio as I drive
0: home. So
3: All right, great.
0: All right, everybody. Thank you, Lucas. Enjoy the evening, all right? Thank you. All right, and how how do your family, too? Okay, everybody, so uh, Jay and John, uh, we'll switch gears here. John, we just had uh, Rick Levine on with us for a few minutes. We're talking about 2007 and talking about time and calendars and, of course, that stuff that you're perfectly well-versed in. So uh, jump right in and say hi and say whatever you like.
6: Well, I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to give your listeners an update. I was supposed to be in Mexico right now as we Speak, right, but right, my right. trip got delayed just a little bit so I'm really excited about this trip because I'm going back to Izapa, the, the site, the early Maya site that invented the Long Count calendar. It's a fascinating site that I write about a lot in my books. Right, right. Uh, it's it's kind of amazing that there are so many carved monuments preserved at this site. I, I sort of think of it as the New World Eleusis. Hmm. Because it was really an initiation center into this galactic wisdom that uh, 2012 is apparently all about. And uh, by the way, I do agree with uh, Rick when he emphasizes that uh, we shouldn't be waiting around until December 21st of 2012 for doing the work of transformation. That's always been my position as well. That uh, we have to be, you know, on one level, think about this as a process-oriented shift. That goes over many years, and also that uh, you know we can't uh, become habituated to future projecting that would just n- you know sort of miss the point. Uh, we have to focus on the here and now and the work of uh, the spiritual work that we can do in the present moment. Hmm.
0: What do you make of that Jay
6: Well,
3: I completely agree uh, I would probably have one small disagreement, and that w- would be that I think that it's important that we, one thing that we really don't do in our culture and in our society is think about where we're going to be in 10 years or 5 years as a culture and as a society. We think about it on an individual level, Mm -hmm. but we really don't think about it on a societal level. And I think that this time around, it might behoove all of us to begin thinking about what kind of world we want in 2012, 2020, 2025, because the people with their hands on the switch, they're thinking about it, and I think it's time for us to begin thinking about it also, so that we have a little bit more influence in the events that are going to unfold.
6: Well, sure. I think that that to me goes without saying that we still have to be, you know, actively engaged in the work of being in the world. Um, you know, it's. But I also believe that um, positive transformation happens through. Uh, the spirit first, and so mm-hmm. we're not going to be able to make any positive change in the world in in the near future or the distant future unless we can sort of connect up with the uh, transforming and renewing wisdom in the here and now. But uh, I, I do agree with you that we can't just forget that uh, there's a pretty dire situation in the world right now, and we have to be you know actively engaged in doing something about it too. Well, uh, you know, the the you're right, and uh, uh,
3: the spirit is the the first manifestation of change, and I think that you know, John and I are both what you might call traditionalists, and that we're the followers of, of people like Rene Grenon and Schumann and a lot of other people, and we think that there's you know that the spirit is is the is the manifestation first, and that everything. Transduces down from that, mm-hmm. and once you realize that, then life gets easier because you begin you begin living through the spirit. And I think that if the human race would begin to alter its thinking and remove its uh, its centralized idea that the material world is all that there is, we would go a long
6: way in, in you know, completing the great work of, of mm-hmm. humanity. Mm-hmm well that's that's exactly right and and that is completely true and it sort of uh maps onto to the discussion that was happening earlier around the uh abstract illusion of mechanical clocks versus the natural rhythms of uh like you know that's represented by the lunar cycle and uh you know it's it's almost like the modern world has things backwards and upside down and that's why there's so much dissonance and uh difficulty in the world today
0: yeah it's like there's just a cog that's missing one tooth on its gear or something and everything just sort of just doesn't quite work right you know
3: well the ancient uh texts the uh, hindu texts talk about the Kali yuga and they say that you know good will be bad and bad will be good and up will be down and down will be up Uh, interestingly they say uh in in in, uh, the vedic texts that you will know that it's the Kali Yuga when the word bad means good. Wow. Right. <laughs> well,
0: I guess we're there, huh? <laughs> yeah,
3: that's bad. That <laughs> hey, bad. Yeah.
0: Let, me, let me ask you guys both a question, um, since I have you at the same time. Jay, you started doing the Henday work when? 10, 12, 15 years ago? When did you find the book, first of all? Well,
3: uh, 1986 is when I found the book, The Work Turned Serious, in 1992.
0: So effectively, for between 15 and 20 years, we'll call it that. That's safe, yeah, right. right? And, and John, your work on the Mayan calendar and the Mayan
6: civilization um, began? About four lifetimes ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right, in, in this incarnation. <laughs> oh, well, uh, it, I guess it was about 86 when I first became, you know, I first went to Mexico, but uh, the whole end date stuff really started to uh gain momentum in the early 90s.
0: Okay. All right, so for, so for both of you, let's call it 15 to 20 years of being involved in this stuff. We're now we're, we're December 19th. We're three the the solstice actually this year falls on the 22nd. So we're 3 days away from the winter solstice of 2006. We're 6 years away or halfway between the year 2000 and the year 2012 uh as far as this Winter marker goes, what do you guys make of it? Are 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 you where you thought we would be? Uh, what I mean just sort of a general overview of what you what you what you've seen and what you sort of expected between then and now.
3: Uh, well, I'll go first. Yes, okay, please. I think that um, I you know, I'm a, I'm slightly dismayed. I th- I think that things are going slower in some ways than I thought, but in in some ways I think that you know, I'm very optimistic because I see I see the walls crumbling down in so many edifices that I realize that there's no way turning back the age of information, the internet, all these things are creating a a huge change in the way that we're looking at each other and mm-hmm. the world, and you know you know how you uh, when when you're in love with someone or you're good friends with someone you you begin anticipating each other's thoughts mm-hmm. and that that comes from familiarity. And I think that the internet, while it isn't creating a global, uh, you know, global brain in in the real sense, what it's doing is it's teaching us that we're all pretty much the same. We all have the same wants and desires and fears. And we're going to begin to get familiar with each other, and then we're going to begin reading each other's minds like lovers do and friends do. And so, you know, this don't forget the internet's only been around since about ninety three to ninety five, so <laughs>
5: right.
3: it hasn't really been around that long. And by two thousand twelve I think the growing pains of all this are going to vanish and I think that something pretty amazing
6: is going to happen between now and then. All
0: right. John, what about you?
6: Well I think I'd go back to nineteen ninety eight as a marker for me because that's when my book Maya Cosmogenesis twenty twelve came out. So eight years from then um, I'd, I'd have to say I'm a little sort of frustrated and disappointed uh, mainly because I am primarily concerned with this revolutionary new interpretation uh, that I've tried to put on the table in a serious way for you know uh, this whole galactic alignment
0: mm-hmm. uh,
6: reconstruction mm-hmm. with 2012 that I that I write about and Cla-
0: uh, clarify that for people this new okay. uh, interpretation that you're talking about
6: well um, My interpretation of 2012 uh, hinges on this rare astronomical alignment that uh, culminates in the years around 2012. Uh, It's the alignment of the Solstice Sun with the the Milky Way, the bright band of the Milky Way, in the region of the Galactic Center as well. So it's an astronomical fact. It happens only once every 26,000 years, and it's referred to as the Galactic Alignment Mm -hmm. or the Solstice Galaxy Alignment my approach to to this was fairly academic and, and, uh you know, abiding by the rules of scholarship and making a pretty good argument for how this alignment image is built into the core institutions of the Maya, like the ball game and the creation myth and so on. So I guess somewhat naively, eight years ago, I thought that um, my work would be, compelling enough uh, to scholars to at least elicit some kind of uh, some kind of an interest and uh, you know there's been some lights uh, along the road but uh, for for the for the most part um, there's been a sort of just a dismissal of it and uh, I do feel some things coming around recently but it's been sort of like being in the trenches with uh, the scholars for for that period of time, and I have you know 400,000 words of email exchanges with various scholars, you know that I could trot out right, right, right. <laughs> to demonstrate that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's I, I think I'm just realizing how much uh, of a big thing I've become involved in, and then mm-hmm. on the other hand, it is on a metaphysical or spiritual level, I think a uh, resurgence or a revival of this ancient. Uh, Primordial tradition, or as Jay said, the, the perennial philosophy. That's that's really a, a perspective that I, I think uh, is worth uh, worth embracing. The perennial philosophers, these traditionalists, that uh, you know believe that at the end of the cycle we have this opportunity to reconnect with the divine transcendent wisdom. And yet we live in a world that's completely despiritualized and debased, and doesn't even Really, officially admit the existence of a transcendent domain. So, on that level too, it, it's kind of like uh, fighting a battle. Um, yes. I, I agree
3: with, with with you on that, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be quite so saddened. I think I think you've, you're you know you, you, you're, you're going you you are in the trenches and, and we are in the trenches, but you know. As you as you know John even right now uh, you know minds like Robert Lawler are working on on their on their great true, yeah. book and, and they're using your work and, and my work as as their fulcrum point to point out that the great traditions are using the Galactic alignment as their centerpiece so you know, it takes a while for the for the reinforcements to get there, but they're they're coming believe me i'm I'm in communication with a lot of people and,
2: and that's good uh, news you
3: know, that is good news you it know is, it's
0: funny i th- i think we we always and by we i mean you know guys like us we we always want it to come faster than it does. I remember you know when I first was turned on to all this stuff and again it was you know in the mid mid nineties and my gosh by at that time i thought oh it's going to be said and done by 2006 we'll be we'll be sitting in butter by then you know we'll have everything worked out and then by the time 2012 rolls around you know it'll just sort of be i've always thought that big events get smaller the closer you get to them you know
6: <laughs> i like the way you framed it uh, you know we're halfway between 2000 and 2012 and i think it's good to remember that 6 years ago in 2000 it was a very different world Hmm. You know, pre-9-11, pre-
5: Oh, my gosh.
6: You know, Iraq War. Um, yeah, so it's uh, we have to keep our eyes open.
0: And also the technological advances though, that have happened in the last six years have been remarkable, you know? True. The Internet. I mean, Jay, the points you make about the Internet, I mean, this is where it's at.
3: It is, and it, it's so revolutionary that, you know, it just bedevils the Bush administration. <laughs> I read these internal memos that people send me. That are going on inside the Bush administration. They're just, they're just so angry about the internet. And, <laughs> and, and, and John McCain is now trying to pass a bill. Uh, I used to like John McCain. I can't believe what a schmuck he's turned out to be. And and um, and 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 so there are no secrets. This is the thing that's going on. There are, all the secrets are coming out. Nobody can hide anything. <laughs> that's, in right, that's,
0: that's right. That's right. That's right.
3: Great equalizer. It is, it is really the playing you know, field is getting leveled. Yeah yeah they can't put it back they're going to try but you know what uh. people have created codes now so kid the kids, the kids are, are, have created all these codes and and oh, they yeah. they can't track the the words the keywords using keyword analysis you
0: know you know you guys I, I i sort of had a revelation years ago actually but 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 it's been sort of reinforced as we've moved forward and i thought that you know for the first time in history at least the history that i'm familiar with for the first time the children have a better command of the technology than the adults do. Yes. And, and and this is eventually going to come to mean something. I don't know what. but
3: well, They're not going to be able to control it, and they're not going to be able to, to create programs to, to censor it. They're, they're, everyone will just create uh, different languages. Right. Uh, it will bedevil them, and, and, and we will know everything that's going on. In fact, if they're not careful... And they try to censor the internet. What will happen is, is that a quickly a new code, a mm-hmm. secret code, will be, will come into being, and they won't be able to figure out what they're even reading anymore. Yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah, and, and yeah. this is, you know, this is like out of Babel comes freedom, <laughs> and this is what this is happening. And and so I think, I, you know, I'm. Short term, I'm really I am pessimistic, just like John. I am. Um, I don't. I'm not sure how long it's going to take for these ideas to finally get there. I myself, when 98, our research was reaching its culmination, also, and that's the same year that I met John. And I thought for sure by 2003, 2004, everyone would just be going, "Oh my goodness, Mm -hmm. alchemy is about the the great work at the end of time." And Uh, it's a pretty lonely situation. You know, it's also I.
0: I hate to say it, but it, it. Sometimes it has to be looked at like an intelligence test. I mean, that's what it seems like to me. Maybe it's not for everyone because it just it, it seems like my experience is that you know, I tried for a long time pushing this stuff down people's throats and and that doesn't work. And so I figured eventually I just gotta you know, if I wanna talk about it, I just talk about it, you know, to the to nobody in a microphone and the people that, that catch on to it catch on to it and that's sort of the way I look at it now.
6: Well, for me, one of the spiritual teachings that I've sort of decoded at the site of Izapa, and, and there are several methods for how people can actually connect into this gnosis for themselves, so they don't have to listen to somebody else tell them how to do, you know, tell them what it is. Right. They can just experience it for themselves. Is basically meditation. Yep. Sit down, close your eyes, and go within and and meditate and i i really truly believe that if people would adopt this as a practice even 10 15 20 minutes every day in the morning the world would be transformed in, in short order
3: i agree with that i really do
6: go within and seek the uh seek the light within and uh center the mind um there's so much noise and distraction and of course that is part of what happens at the end of the end of the cycle the end of the age and again i always sometimes refer to these things uh Without the caveat that it's not the end of the world, it's not the end of time per se, it's these, uh, these cyclic processes that happen, you know, the ups and downs, the vicissitudes of history. It's, you always have to sort of make sure that people understand that we're not talking about the end of the world, uh, per se, but yeah, yeah. at least that's, that's, that's what I believe. I think that, as the Maya believed, we are approaching a world renewal, really, yeah. and, uh, the universe is trying to evolve us. And uh, what we have to do is open up to that okay
0: all right um, John, off the air today, when you and I spoke this morning, you mentioned a couple of films. Uh, I want to talk about those before we uh, before we say goodbye, and Jay certainly uh, can chime in on these as well. So there are two films, right, John, this one is called The Fountain.
6: Yeah, I'd love to get Jay's opinion on these films too and uh, and maybe he can talk about them when I'm off air i uh, there's been a lot of hoopla over the uh, Apocalypto
5: movie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and
6: uh, I think it's 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 fairly overplayed. Um, and in, if if the, if Apocalypto promised to provide any kind of useful information about Maya wisdom or the Maya culture in general, in any sense, uh, I think it's completely failed. Whereas the relatively unknown movie by Darren Aronofsky called The Fountain was quite a surprise to me because he, he very deftly handles some, some very subtle things in regards to Mayan teachings about uh, uh, sacrifice, death, and uh, our relationship to uh, immortality. It's, it's, it's quite, quite an astounding surprise.
0: Have, have you seen either of those films, Jay?
3: You no, know, I haven't. I've been so busy launching 2012 right. Odyssey, but Wednesday we're going to see both of them back-to-back. In Seattle, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing both of them. Although I am looking forward to seeing the Fountain more than Apocalypto.
0: I I heard Apocalypto was just a bloodbath. There's there's a guy here on the in the chat room right now, John, that says, uh, "Not much on the calendar, but pretty
6: gory." Nothing on the calendar and and super gory.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You know, when when you can't create drama, you got to create a little bit of gruesome blood.
6: (laughs) Well, it's not only. uh, A problem of absence it's there's there's some subtle messages uh, layered in there that are are pretty uh, disturbing in terms of the Maya on Maya violence and the the message at the end of the movie that is sort of implied that the uh, Spanish Franciscans will be arriving to save the savages as their their culture crumbles yeah, that's nice.
3: <laughs> isn't, isn't that really <laughs> off by about two or three hundred years? Uh, the the culture didn't crumble right before the, the Spanish. Rap. That's
6: true. Also, yeah, there's some yeah. factual things going on with it. But the Aronofsky movie, um, What's actually, that? I also Tell- say that Ellen Burstyn, she was in the movie, and she's been in uh, a couple of his movies, and she was uh, quite uh, taken with the 2012 Odyssey. I was gonna say she likes, you,
3: uh, she likes you guys' film, yeah. Yeah, she's uh she's a really good friend of Sharon's and uh, is really, really going all through the Hollywood crowd, promoting twenty twelve The Odyssey to everyone and she, we're just so grateful that she's one of our probably our biggest supporter right now and uh doing everything she can to help the film and thinks it's just the film of the year.
6: So That's great. I I I'd um... Love to talk with her. She seems to have been in some kind of edgy movies over the years, too, sort yeah. of sci fi kind of movies. And uh, Absolutely. She's, I love her well, work. I think
3: she's the greatest actress of her generation. I think she's the Catherine the Hepburn, or, you know, probably even actually in some ways a better actress than Catherine Hepburn. And I think, you know, she's just, you know, if you go all the way back, I'm trying to remember the movie where she was the healer. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a great one.
6: And, uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore. There was another one where there was a technology that they could go into an after-death state or something.
3: Oh, um, Resurrection. Something like that, (laughs) yeah. Great movie. Great movie, yeah. Yeah, she's an incredibly intelligent, well-read person and, uh, you know, um, great supporter. And she's been in two of Aronofsky's films. She was also in the other one about drugs. Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream. Oh,
0: that was an amazing film.
3: Yeah, so, you know, she's she's a big fan and she that actually revived her career. If you remember, she got nominated and won Best Supporting Actress. Wonderful. Yeah.
0: Hey, John, tell us a little bit more about this current film of theirs and 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 how it ties and how it how it ties into some Mayan themes.
6: Well, I think it's a it's a a verily, a, a very astounding film. It deserves two or three viewings. Um I I basically uh there are uh, themes that involve um, Shibalba, um, and uh, it's kind of hard to describe. Uh, there are three t- temporal levels going on in this, past, present, and future. So that alone uh, brings in some very interesting considerations. And uh, there's some spiritual teachings around uh, immortality, death, letting go, embracing death uh... that are fairly profound and i I would say reflect uh, authentic maya teachings there are some gratuitous scenes uh... there's one you know gratuitous sort of scene of of violence uh... with the maya you know it's not completely innocent of that kind of thing but the point is that uh... it, it just does an amazing thing with the teachings around first father and the sacred tree and the resurrection of the world and um what death really is really wow uh, I, I, how, how much <laughs> i'm speechless i mean yeah, how much more go. can be said right, right
0: right i guess i guess i gotta put that one on the list to see maybe i'll
3: leave and go tomorrow <laughs>
0: <laughs> well uh there's there's lots of great stuff coming out obviously and and you guys are right in the middle of that the film john that you've participated in that that jay uh, and sharon have put together is amazing and i'm uh... I, I, I love it. I've watched it a number of times. And uh, what, I, yeah. what, what are you hearing from the people that you're sharing it with? Well,
6: yeah, Jay, I wanted to make sure you knew. I'm not sure if I got a chance to tell you, but uh, we did have a showing for it in Boulder a few weeks ago, and I introduced the film, and there was a great response from it. And there's another guy up in Estes Park that's uh, been in touch with you guys, I think, and uh, is going to have a showing up that way, too, in northern Colorado. So, yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a great buzz going on. Oh, yes, yeah, it's, it's going to show, and right now it's up I think over
3: almost three hundred different venues, uh, each venue showing it two to five, six times each, so
0: Wow, that's incredible, John yeah,
3: and uh, we we played in Sedona, I don't know if you know that, John, but we played in Sedona for four straight nights and sold out all four nights. beautiful, um, yeah, standing ovation every single time. We must have gotten three hundred emails from Sedona. And um, New York in a couple weeks. Uh, we, show, we went out to Baltimore uh, over Thanksgiving and showed it to a sold out group, and uh, uh, Portland last week, and we're trying to get it into Missouri and uh, other places so that people can see it. Wonderful.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's in Chicago. Yes. And I'm going to, let's see if I can find it here, if I'm fast enough with my mouse. Um, and I'll, if I can't quote it, I'll paraphrase. But anyway, I got a note from a listener in Chicago, a friend of mine, as a matter of fact, uh, a young lady, and she said, "I went and saw 20. This was last night, as a matter of fact. Said I went and saw 2012, The Odyssey. It was the last showing. It was it's been there for four weeks, wherever this was, some somewhere outside of Chicago. But it was the the fourth and last weekend. And she said, I loved it." I felt like making love to everyone in the room, <laughs> and she said something like, "You know, not literally, you know what I mean." But I just was yeah. full of. She just was just full of it, and just was so excited and loved it. And uh, anyway, it was a great little email. I have to forward it to both you guys, I'm and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm totally butchering it because it was beautiful words that she used. But uh, at any rate, it's obviously having a pretty profound impact on a lot of people that are seeing it. I know it did on the people that I shared it with.
6: I think yeah. it just underscores the positive message and how uh, it it engages people in a, in a discussion, a positive discussion exploration of the whole thing. It also proves that people will sit through
3: a film that in a way taxes your intellect and, and maybe your spiritual paradigm, and that was the to me the, the big test. I really wasn't sure if the general audiences were going to be able to rise up into it because most films make you fall down into them right. and that was my biggest concern and um, you know, my favorite filmmaker Stanley Kubrick and he always forced you to rise up into his films and I think that audiences are eager for this kind of thing. I don't think we need to, to delve into stupidity and, and, and violence and hopefully like films like The Fountain will change the landscape a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can only do so much of the over-the-top violence and stuff. I mean, it's sort of like The Simpsons. I mean, you, you know, you get overly desensitized and pretty soon nothing uh, gets to you, so then you sort of, the, the pendulum shifts and you go back in the other direction, you know?
3: Yeah, I agree. Um, but it, that, to me, is the most encouraging aspect of the audience's response to the film, is that they, they, they seem to understand it they seem to get it, and, they, and it seems to create an emotive response, which, you know, film is not an intellectual medium. It's an emotional medium. It's like music, it, it goes to the heart. And if you can't get people to walk out of the theater with something in their heart, then you failed. Yeah. And I think that that is what is so encouraging about the response
6: so far to the film.
0: All right. Look, uh, John, a couple more minutes. Uh, What's going on? You're leaving for Mexico next week.
6: Yeah, I'll be in Azapa in 10 days, and I'm actually uh, bringing a little astronomical measuring instrument that I uh, devised and constructed to measure the the azimuth of the solstice sunrise. So I'm going to be doing a little bit of a little science there while I'm there. All right. And uh, so uh, then on to Palenque. For New Year's, so that should be pretty fun. Awesome, uh, awesome. I haven't done sort of a fun trip in a while. I'm, I usually uh, go, uh, you know, flown in for uh, for something and flown out, so it'll it'll be nice to have a little bit of a uh, exploration and and hopefully getting to the site of Yakshilan. So, on my website, there will be uh, an update on on what's going on with that, and uh, just continue to do the research and get the material out there and uh, and uh, keep moving forward.
0: All right. Uh, one more quick question for you while we've got you. Do either of you know anything about the Schumann resonance frequency and if it's doing anything funny? You know, the sort uh, of underlying Earth's pulse or whatever they call it.
3: Uh, it's, uh, from what uh, Greg Brayden is saying, it's you know still on a steady, steady, steady drop. So uh, I don't know. I, I haven't heard anything recently
0: hmm. okay. except
3: that it's just in a steady decline. And
6: uh, we will see.
0: All right. Okay, uh, John. Enjoy yourself. Have a wonderful trip. Okay.
6: Oh, uh, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the rest of the show and uh, uh, Merry Solstice and Happy New Year.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And look, uh, John. As soon as you get back, get in touch, and we'll we'll get back on the air and do it again. Okay.
6: Okay. Sounds good.
0: All right, everybody. Wonderful stuff, John Major Jenkins. You can find him on the web at Alignment 2012 com and you can always link over there from my site as well. And I'm sure Jay's probably got ways to get over to uh John's site. And Jay of course can be found on the web at J J A Y W E I D N E R dot com. Jay, what's the website for the film? Uh
3: two thousand twelve, that's two zero one two and then the words the Odyssey. T H E O D Y S S E Y dot com. Two thousand twelve the Odyssey dot com.
0: Okay, to go there
3: and you can look up where it's showing in your area and uh, go to it. It'll be showing in, you know, all through January and February.
0: And if it's not showing in your area, uh, find your local independent theater or whatever and yes. get in touch with them and tell and them to them. check it out.
3: Yes, exactly. I mean, I'm trying
0: to do it here in Columbia, and it's not, it's not easy because I got a lot of people pounding on their doors with films, I guess. But
3: uh, No, you know, I have it. When, when we get off or tomorrow, we'll, let's email, because there is a woman somewhere near you who um, I think between the two of you,
0: you can get a showing. All right, all right. Well, good. Anyway, it's great stuff, and there are a lot of people that, uh, when they hear it, Jay, are going, yeah, let's check it out. It it is striking a chord. Obviously, you're in 250 or 300 theaters.
3: Yep.
0: I mean, that's outrageous. I'm so proud. That's great. Yep,
3: I am (laughs) too.
0: (laughs) Good for you, and good for Sharon. You know, Sharon's sort of behind the scenes. She doesn't like to do the radio thing, but great for her, you know?
3: Yep. Well, you know, she's. She's just a, uh, you know, she's a uh, introspective artist and uh, doesn't is not probably as gregarious as I am. So.
0: <laughs> all so. right. Well, what do they say? Behind every great man, there's a great woman. So.
3: That's for sure. And that, then... that is a great woman. Let me tell you.
0: <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Look, we'll take a break here. We'll come back in a minute. All right. Yep. All right, everybody. It's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. About 12:45 now. The 19th of December. And we've got Jay Widener. Big thanks to John Major Jenkins for spending a little time with us there. And, uh, thanks to Jay for, uh, for sharing his time as well with, with Rick and with John. We'll come back with Jay. We got another hour. And actually, we got as much time as we want tonight because, uh, the, the person who's supposed to do the show after this one said they're not coming in. So I can just continue the show if I wanted to. Anyway, uh, we'll, uh, we'll just see how things go and we'll be back with Jay in just a few minutes, okay? Alright, in the meantime, here's another wonderful piece of music from a good friend. Lucas Klotzbach. This one's called With My Back to the Sun. We'll be back in just a minute. It's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN, Columbia. Lucas Klutz back with my back to the sun. All right, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. Just a little before 1 o'clock now, about 11 minutes before 1 a.m. on Tuesday morning, the 19th of December, 2006. We're three days away from the winter solstice, and it's uh, rolling towards us faster and faster. Jay Widener, how about how fast time is moving, by the way?
3: Definitely speeding up. Anyone that thinks it isn't. Not paying attention.
0: Yeah, I mean, I and I don't care how you define it. If you define it as just a perception, okay, fine with me. i I'm, I'm not, I won't even argue it. You know, I'm not going to argue anything except the fact that it is whatever. You know, however you define it, it is sure speeding up.
3: You know, if you go to uh, my website at com, there's an article there called "The Topology of Time."
0: Yeah, hyperdimensional space.
3: Yes, and I, I think I, I do as, as adequate a job as been done in describing how time is speeding up. And we're we're like going down a vortex, and each spin is faster than the spin before. And uh, we're just spinning faster and faster and faster. And every time we come around to that same edge of the circle, we're going through kind of a mirrored historical process, only that historical process is speeded up. You know, the war in Iraq is is Vietnam on methadrine, and this is this is what's going on. I mean, uh, uh, we're, everything is moving so much faster,
6: and and
3: and we're we're having to make decisions so much more quickly that of course we're going to make more mistakes mm-hmm. in that kind of environment, and that's what's going on right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, and you combine that with the uh, information transfer that's available now and like you say everything is everyone knows what's going on and it just becomes just a complete cluster
3: it does and uh it's uh watching it occur is uh, it can be exhilarating and disconcerting all at the same time and hmm. uh, i think we're all watching this and going oh my god where is this going to end hmm. and it's probably going to end in some kind of gigantic disaster <laughs> although i don't think it's going to be a worldwide catastrophe of where everyone will die but i think there's going to be a series of of disasters that are going to wake us up. Mm. And I think that we're starting to go through them even right now as we speak. It's not just the war and not just politics, but it's the weather. and
0: Mm.
3: A lot of other things are happening all at once.
0: Yeah, there are lots of things happening. The environment is something that uh, is, you know, a real wild card. Nobody knows how long, uh, you know, certain aspects of that are going to hold out. And I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't claim to understand what's happening with regard to the climate change in this. It's, it's sure, you know, the one thing that I think people agree upon is that something is happening. I don't know that anybody really knows what. It's just so complicated, you know, and, and to try to solve it, I think, is like peeing into the wind or something. But it
3: is, I and mean, it can't be. Uh, no offense, to the environmentalists. I'm not quite sure it, it's global warming is caused by the envir- by by cars and things. Although I'm sure they don't help uh, because. Mars is heating up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neptune's heating up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jupiter's heating up. There's a huge uh, uh, polar storm on Saturn right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, things are are happening across the entire um, solar system, and they appear to be related to the sun. Right. And mm-hmm. of course, the most important panel on the cross of Henday is is the angry sun. Someone. Told me, emailed me the other day, and said that they were watching a news report on CNN about the solar flare that happened last week, and they used the uh, expression that the sun was angry. And I thought, wow, you know. hmm. now they're starting now it's starting to fall into the vernacular. You know. hmm. So I don't know. I, something is going on, and it's profound. Um, my my biggest worry right now, to be honest with everyone, is is I'm not sure how the how the food production chain is going to take the repeated blows to the environment and you know, it probably would behoove people to maybe buy a, a bit of dried food and some canned food and store it away just in case. I mean if it doesn't happen you can always give it away to the homeless or something. So right, right.
0: Yeah, it's certainly more, more and more unpredictable. I think, I think if nothing else, people are are doing that, looking around, saying, "Well, gosh, I don't know what's going on," you know. And I don't know if it's for some, it's liberating, and for others, it's debilitating. Yes, you know.
3: Well, to me, it it is liberating because I knew the old way wasn't working, Mm -hmm. and so. I would as uh, Terence says in the movie actually I don't think he says it in the movie he says it in the talk that the, that, that was that was taken and put in the movie the Eros and the Eschaton, he right. says you know that this thing is falling apart and that's good because we were not we weren't winning anyway you know and that's, that's sort of how I feel we weren't winning anyway so who cares if that side is beginning to fall apart and to lose they were never on our side to begin with, so no. uh, you know. So it's time to take care of ourselves, and it's time to, um, and it really is time to get right with with you know the inner spirit and to figure out who you really are and and what can be done to um, emanate the spirit. And this is what alchemy is about, and this is what you know. All all the secrets are going to be released, you mm-hmm. know. And um, gosh,
0: they already are coming out. It's like fast are. and furious. all you got to do is paying attention and looking and you can find them, you know.
3: That's right. Um are you familiar with uh, Tony Bushby and uh, the Bible fraud and the secret in the Bible? huh.
5: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah,
3: those are very interesting books. Um I think that, you know, he's he's a guy who uh has really done his homework and uh and he's really got it down and he understands what alchemy is and uh, he's releasing the secrets a very brave man i'm sure his life is being threatened by certain forces and uh and uh you know i don't know where he is or how to get a hold of him but he'd be somebody you should get on your show oh, if you can
0: yeah yeah i I've, I've i've read lots of his work and i've sort of jaw dropped at it
3: <laughs> you know? yeah it's very impressive stuff yeah, yeah. and uh and i'm not sure you know he he's very coy and he doesn't want anyone to know how much he really knows. But from reading between the lines, he knows an awful lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I highly recommend any of Tony Bushby's books. So, you know, these things are happening. He's releasing information. Secret of Alchemy is about to be released. In fact, it is being released even as we speak on certain websites. And, um.
0: What do you mean know, by that?
3: Well, um. The, the, it's, I can't
0: let you just say that. The Secret of Alchemy is being released on a few websites and just blows right by it.
3: <laughs> well, um, I, I I don't want to... It because it's be, the way it's being released is is not uh, exactly the way that I would release it. I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit reticent to, uh, to tell people where to go look. But, you know, it's like... It's,
0: I'll tell you where to go, look, it's com, <laughs> yeah, and go, go to my like, archives, okay, yeah, <laughs> it's in there, trust me. <laughs>
3: well, you know, the secret of alchemy is an ancient secret, and and, and it's well known, the entire secret of alchemy is inscribed in, in the construct of, of the Cross of Hended, mm-hmm. the actual real secret, it has nothing to do with the end of time, although that part of alchemy is you know, the part that I've concentrated on, at least so far in my research, but the Cross of Henday is describing completely and accurately the entire secret of alchemy. And to grasp that is to grasp, you know, the final thing that we all need to understand before the end of time. How that gets released is... Is you know problematic because it's not everyone's going to understand it, and, and those that do hear it are going to think, well, yeah, I kind of knew that already, and, and so it's just going to act as a confirmation of what they already knew. Mm. Uh, but that's not what's important. What's important is is that once the idea is out, it will begin permeating the consciousness, and you know, certain people of a certain ilk will begin practicing it and when they do, that's when
0: the change will come. Hmm. Wow. All right. Um, let's see, I'm gonna do a quick ID here and we're not gonna take a break. Uh, so it's Michaelus, k-o-p-n Columbia, eighty nine point five FM, radio orbit. My guest is Jay Widener. You can find information about Jay on the web at J A Y Widener. W E I D N E R dot com. J Widener dot com. He's an author, a filmmaker of amazing books and uh and films as a matter of fact and we're fortunate to have him on the program again with us tonight and uh he's a regular uh and one of the favorites uh here on the program. Jay yeah, I get such great response when you're on the program and and uh, the 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 uh, listeners are just uh, they just eat it up. And in fact I'm peeking in the chat room right now and there's lots of people in there that have questions and comments. But uh anyway, great to have you here.
3: Yeah, it, it's great to be here. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to let what I just said slide. I guess. No,
0: I want to say now one. that
3: I'm thinking about it. Let, um,
0: let me quote something and then you continue, okay?
3: Yeah.
0: Alchemy was not about the transmutation of crude metals into gold, but was a magical art designed to bring the soul to completion. Mm-hmm. Terence McKenna.
3: Yep. By the way, there's a great film which I've just seen uh, coming out. It was the last thing that Terence did. Um, and Strange it's attraction. called Coincidentum Oppositorium, mm. and it was shot in Prague, and it's about John Dee, and Terrence is is the storyteller, and um, Sacred Mysteries may pick up the film, it looks like. Uh, we're working on it right now with the filmmaker.
5: Great. And
3: uh, it's an incredible film, and I just pray that it gets out soon, because it's it's so wonderful to see Terrence in, <laughs> in his full glory and as he is in this film. He's so relaxed in, in this film, and uh, it's just beautiful.
0: Wow. How did you come across it?
3: Well, it's uh, the, the guy's been working on it for years. Terrence actually told me about the film years ago, and I wondered what happened to it, and I finally got a hold of the guy, actually the guy's son, because he died, and that's why the film never mm. got
5: finished. hmm
3: And, um, you know, he sent it, he wanted to get Dennis to approve it, so Dennis saw it and approved it, and so now we're working on the final finishing parts, or taking some of my advice, or interviewing a few people like John, and me, and Dennis, to include in the film, commenting about Terrence, and then we're going to have it out, and it's going to be out, hopefully before June or so.
0: Right on.
3: Yeah, it's a great film, beautifully done, shot on film, just great. That's well,
0: that's his, that is awesome news, and I'm so glad that you and Dennis are in touch and, yeah. uh, and talking and everything, so that is so cool.
3: Yeah, so I want to I get back to this thing, because I don't want to leave you guys hanging. Yeah, um, let's
0: talk more about this alchemical... Let's,
3: let's talk about the Cross of Hende for oh, a second, Okay, okay. and let, let's, just, let's just take it real slow here. In, in the book, um, Mysteries of the Great Cross of Hende and the Monument to the End of Time, you know, we asked the question... How does a stone become a tree, become a star? Okay? And this is a question that Falconelli asks. All right? And it's really the secret of alchemy. Okay? So when we look at the cross of Hende, we see a pedestal. The pedestal has four engravings on each of the sides, you know, a star, a moon, a sun, and the four A's.
0: Jay, for, pe- for people who want to see a picture of the cross, the pedestal, there's one at your site?
3: Yes, there is. Just go to Topology of Time or Tolkien at the End of Time. They all Pretty much almost every article I write has a picture of the cross at the end of it.
0: Okay, sounds but, good. But
3: go to Topology of Time. I believe it's almost right away, the very first page of the article.
0: All right, sounds good. All
3: right, so then there's a, a Greek column that sits on top of the pedestal, and then sitting on top of the Greek column is a Greek cross, okay? All right, so let's look at it this way. The stone is the pedestal. The tree is the column. And the star is the cross at the top of the column. Okay. Okay? The stone is the base of the spine. The column is the spine and the cross at the top of the column is the pineal gland, which sits at the top of the spine. Mm -hmm. All right? So when the stone is activated, it activates the tree or the spinal column, drives the force upwards, and lights up the pineal gland. The pineal gland, once it's lit, Once it's turned on, using the force of gravity begins to percolate down into the genetic structure of the body, turning on the photons that exist inside the DNA, okay? And so when when a snake is on the ground, when a snake is horizontal, It represents three-dimensional forces when the snake goes vertical when it becomes a caduceus it begins or even in the Mayan tradition with Quetzalcoatl Mm -hmm. it begins crawling up the trunk of the tree and turns into a bird Mm. and flies away and this
0: is the Kundalini description too
3: this is and one time I woke up in the middle of the night, and I was trying to figure out, I was working on, on, on the Fulconelli stuff, and I, I, I kept looking at image number 46 from Mystery of the Cathedral by Fulconelli. In the original copy of the book, this was the very last illustration. and It's an it's a, a initiatory chamber that's in uh, Bourges in France, and it has to do with light becoming light becoming light. Hmm. And as if this is the greatest mystery of all. This is the final initiation. And as I, I was looking at that, I, I suddenly had an idea. And the idea was to go to Arthur Avalon's book, Secret of uh, the Serpent Power. Now, Arthur Avalon's real name was John Woodruff. He was a judge in India in the late 1900s. And he was very interested in alchemy and tantra. Uh-huh. And he purchased, he bribed an Indian to give him the serpent power text.
0: And, and this is some an ancient back. manuscript or something, or what?
3: Mm-hmm, yes. And he took it back, and he went to France, about 25 miles north of Paris, in the early 20s, exactly the same time that Fulcanelli is uh-huh, writing uh-huh. his book. Uh-huh. And he translates these documents and puts out this book later called the Serpent Power. Well, I went to this book, for some reason, in the middle of the night, and I opened it up, and it fell open to verse 46, which is exactly the image that I was contemplating from Fulcanelli, image 46. Mm-hmm. And there, on verse 46, was the entire secret of alchemy. It was ex- exactly the secret that I just described to you.
0: The stone to the tree to the star.
3: Mm-hmm. And using moon cycles, just like the kala, of, they call it the kala of the moon. This is why the moon is opposite the four A's on the cross of Hende, because this, you have to do it at the right exact cycle of the moon in order to get the stone to become a tree, to become a star. And this has to do with uh, you may know that uh, trees release more dew and more sap on a full moon just like the tide rises on a full moon
5: mm-hmm.
3: because of the forces the gravitational forces are increased because you have the moon on one side and the sun on the other pulling
5: mm-hmm. the
3: forces and so this 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 force this thing that's inside the base of the, the spine this thing that is is our divine Heritage, our divine right, sits coiled as it is in all of us right now, except for the few that it is not coiled. It sits coiled inside the base, and this is the stone. This is the stone, the philosopher's stone. This is the base of the whole entire edifice of the human divinity of the human divine system. And so beginning Sixteen to twenty days before the full moon, you begin your process. You begin your meditation. You begin the visualization of pulling forth the energy and driving it up what is called the shishuma, which is a thin fiber that runs through the very center of your spine. It's smaller than ten thousandth of a hair, and it rises up. And when it hits the pineal, it says in the Serpent Power, verse 46, for you, those of you who have the book and you're looking at it right now, and it says, it lights up like 10 million suns. And what this is, is this is the DNA. And they didn't know exactly how much DNA was, was, were, was in the human body, so they settled on a number like 10 million, which in those days was an astronomical number. And... um and this is it. That's, that's pretty much what it's about. How you do that is you know, still up for grabs and uh, people are working it out even as we speak. But these are the secrets that are about to be released. And um, uh, Carl Jung called alchemy the yoga of the West. Hmm. And indeed, that's exactly right. It is the yoga of the West. It is a, a series of transmutative processes designed... To turn a man or a woman into homo luminous
0: Mm, all right so all right you and I have talked about shamanism before Mm
3: -hmm.
0: can I mean I gotta ask you I mean because I sort of know the answer but can it be pharmacologically induced
3: Uh, it what 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 it cannot be pharmacologically induced what can happen is This is a great question. It's kind of a a showstopper because it's such a great question. According to alchemy, of course, there is an elixir that you can take that will cause this to happen. Okay, We do know that the chemical that ignites the pineal gland is very, very, very close to dimethyltryptamine. Okay, and we know that that's the active ingredient in mushrooms and in DMT and ayahuasca and many many other things. So, is it can it be pharmacologically induced? I I think that what can happen is is you can get the feel or the idea of what it's supposed to be like through that, but that doesn't mean that it can't be pharmacologically induced it just means
5: Mm -hmm. that it it, it
3: may not be the full and complete way Mm -hmm. however terence would insist of course that at this time with such massive ignorance in the world that pharmacologically is the only way that it could be induced because we've forgotten the methods.
0: right but he also said you know that that it was he he called it Necessary but not sufficient.
3: Exactly right. right? He said Perfect. he said
0: it would it would be helpful and for people that were already moving in the right. You know you gotta have you gotta have the right foundation first of all before you jump in. I think maybe
3: that's exactly right, right. and that's what initiations are uh-huh. and all of these things are. You know, let petite mort as they say in France. It's ah, a small death. death. Yeah. Yeah. And so yes, it, it, what it is, it's it's like the preview of a movie. You know, uh-huh. do you want to go see this movie? You know, and he's like, yeah, I, I want to it. see it. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah I want to see it. That's a movie I definitely want to see. Uh-huh. And and so do I think that it can happen pharmacologically? I, You know, there's enough evidence in alchemy to say that it can. There's enough evidence in the Ayurvedic yoga practices to say that it can And there's enough evidence in molecular studies of dimethyltryptamine to say that there's definitely something going on. Now, here's the key.
0: But you believe you can do it on the natch, though. You believe you can
3: do it naturally. Well, I think so, but Mm -hmm. here's the key. The pineal gland has a sheath around it, which protects it from overdoses of dimethyltryptamine. Mm -hmm. As you may well know, it's in all sorts of food. It's in right, lettuce. It's right, in spinach. Right. It's in all sorts of food. Yeah, almost every plant. Yes. Mm-hmm. And some of it gets, gets by the enzymes that destroy it in, 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 in the digestive processes. Mm-hmm. And, and, in fact, your brain is filled with dimethyltryptamine, but it can't get to the pineal gland because of this sheath that mm-hmm. protects it. Okay. Okay? Occasionally, during sleep, your defenses get let down. And the dimethyltryptamine enters in and you have a wild um, you know, dream sequence induced by dimethyltryptamine. And at death, as Rick Strassman points out, this sheath breaks down. And so you may be clinically dead, but for the next three or four days, the pineal gland, with its sheath now deteriorated, is getting saturated flooded, yeah. with dimethyltryptamines. Okay, so death itself may be the, uh, an alchemical act. I mean, we don't know, uh, because no one's ever come back to tell us. But <laughs> it could be very likely that, you know, who knows how long the last second of life is if we know that time is relative. It could be an eternity.
5: Right. And
3: so the the way that you know that you've been successful turning a stone into a tree into a star is you will have a psychedelic experience the dimethyltryptamine will be released into your pineal gland and you will open up mm-hmm. okay now how do you know that that's happening if you have not had a dimethyltryptamine experience before that how do you know you're just not going insane?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Right? And so Yeah, I would I mean, say I mean
0: when you, when you do it, you know, when you eat a mushroom or you or you or you drink ayahuasca or whatever, you know it that it's coming. Right? In other words. Oh, yeah. You know it. So and you, you know can, what it is. Well, and you can expect it. So if you yes. if if you're not expecting it then yeah, what do you think?
3: Exactly, you will go insane. And in fact that's the dangers of alchemy is, you know, watch out. You know, you're going to go insane if you keep trying to do this.
0: Be careful what you wish for.
3: Exactly. And so what what initiation, what these these tryptamine-oriented drugs are doing is they're softening up the field so that you're ready for it, so you know what it is when it gets there, and you know that it isn't insanity or phantasmagoric images, you know, brought on from interdimensional experiences, which it is, of course, but you're just, you're you're there. You're, you know, there's nothing worse than to be dropped into a foreign city and not know where you are, but if you have maps and you've maybe even been there a couple times, and it feels familiar and comfortable to go to mm-hmm, Paris. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's what it is, and I think that's what initiation is. I think that's what these drugs are. I think that the whole thing is about getting you into that position so that you know that you're having the experience. That reduces the fear factor and lets you go forward so that you can complete the great alchemical experiment, which is to light up the entire DNA.
0: And do you think that that's going to be happening sort of spontaneously to the populations in general? I mean, do you think that this is a a trigger of something sort that's happening?
3: I think that the center of the galaxy and the lineup, um, and the changing sun, and we know the sun's changing. Oh man.
0: Oh man. You don't it, have to tell me. I've been watching for years. Yeah.
3: It, I think that the light, changing light is causing and inducing a, a tryptamine like reaction. So yeah. And I, and I think you're, that people are going to, well, those who are not familiar with the experience are going to lose their They're mind.
0: They're going to wig out.
3: They're going to—they are wigging out.
0: Mm.
3: <laughs> That's what's what's going on. Mm. And it's like you know, um, Terence used to always say that you needed a keep cool guy, you know. <laughs> and I say, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you know, when you're in the bedroom and you're on five grams, mm-hmm. you know, and you start screaming, you, know, you need a guy in the, in the other room who we'll opens up the door and says, hey, keep cool, guy. Right, really? it's you know? cool, yeah. Really well, cool. you know, that's what we need right now is that guy who says, hey, keep cool, you know, everything's fine, you know, and, and that's what this is about, and that's why I know that the great alchemical sper- experiment of the end of time is taking place because of all these things that we're talking about. There can be no doubt. I'm not saying that it's going to be in mass. Right. It may only be ten people or twenty people or hundred people, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. But it is and they're the only ones that matter by the way. Mm. Nobody uh, else matters. Hey,
0: that's I mean that's sort of what evolution is. Yeah. But isn't a million lotuses for one lousy flower, right? That's
3: right, exactly. <laughs> and, and 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 so yes, we should have compassion for those people and, and everything. But at the same time, you know, you really gotta worry about what you're doing. Yeah, I mean,
0: I mean, nature obviously isn't that sentimental.
3: No, it isn't.
0: You know, I mean, she, I mean, look at the tsunamis, look at these sort of things. I mean, uh, nature doesn't choose religious uh, ideologies or which you know nope. political party you voted for. She wipes out whoever's in the path of the wave.
3: That's right. I mean, na- nature is a harsh mistress. Anyone who 's ever lived close to nature knows that, mm-hmm. and you know people that are sitting fat and sassy in the city have no idea what it 's like oh man, and, you know it 's like my story about the mountain lion if you 're not ready mm-hmm. for every eventuality you 're going to get chewed up mm. and and, and, and she 's a beautiful mistress, and so you fall in love with her, but she 'll slap your ass silly if you uh you screw up, Man, it
0: the truth, Jay?
3: yeah, and uh so you know nature is a woman, and she's she's a beautiful woman, but she's also a you know very 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 harsh woman, mm. and um that's where we're headed and and so here we are at the end of time and and all these things are being released and and it, everything is just siphoning down to those few people who actually understand it
0: mm.
7: amazing
3: yep.
0: all right, look um. Let's see. On the web here, I've got a couple people that have asked questions that I think I might as well uh, introduce now because they're relevant. Jeremy Narby, are you familiar with his work? Oh,
3: great, great, great writer.
0: Okay, so, yeah, that that ties into the DNA and the, the. I mean, he, he actually rec- and now, now, for people who don't know, Jeremy Narby's a uh, Stanford-educated Ph.D., anthropologist, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Yep, uh, cosmic serpent.
0: Right, cosmic so DNA, the cosmic serpent, the, yep. the origins of DNA and the origins of knowledge. I think uh, the subtitle. But anyway, wonderful stuff. What do you uh, have you drawn off of Jeremy's work at all?
3: Oh, I I I I, I got the cosmic serpent. and I got out my highlighter <laughs> to highlight the book as I was reading it. And then I got done reading the book and highlighting it, and I went back to see what I highlighted, and I highlighted the whole book. <laughs> and every single page, I think, but five sentences was highlighted.
0: I said, so well, oh, you know,
3: What's, this is ridiculous, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I did that with Morning and the Magician.
3: Yeah. Oh, that's funny because I'm reading uh, Powell's and Berger's right, right now, a book of theirs.
0: Of oh, the impossible, impossible impossibilities. No, I'm
3: reading Eternal Man. I just read that oh. other one.
0: Well, God, but, it's so funny that one. I, I I wasted a whole highlight and then I just quit. I figured, well, I'm, I'm <laughs> gonna end up highlighting the whole thing. It's too long to just keep doing it. But I realized every page was so important. It's amazing. No,
3: Narvi is a must read. You must read The Cosmic Serpent to understand this. I highly recommend, you know, The Serpent Power by Arthur Avalon. Uh, You'll understand uh, what the ta- that tantra is alchemy. Alchemy is tantra.
0: And by tantra, do you mean you mean uh, tantra is in sexual tantra between two people, or? Well,
3: I mean there is sexual tantra. In fact, if you can induce the kundalini with a couple mm-hmm. um, to to where um, that there there's a mutual rising of the kundalini through coitus, mm-hmm. that is extremely powerful. Uh, juju, as they say,
5: right but no you don 't right. need
3: to do it you don't need it. Tantra is not uh, sexual per se that 's mm-hmm. just modern western pornography,
0: okay. right. vast
3: spiritualism
0: but um, but but I think it's but important it is there. but I think it 's important that you that, that I, I want to I clarify what you just said, in other words, the implication is that more people or two people, whatever as many people as can do it in concert with one another, is more powerful than the three alone.
3: Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So I mean, if you
0: did have a partner, whether it was sexual or not, it was something that might be good yeah. mojo, like you say.
3: Yeah, and, you know, the Ellicinian Mysteries were, there were three different levels to the Ellicinian Mysteries, but the, the prime level was really exactly what I just described to you, in which everyone would get together, and, you know, there would be four or 500 people, and they would do a mass kundalini rising at the same time, and... um And then this, you know, there's texts, uh, tantric texts that talk about um, uh, like a a scout will come into the town and say, you know, the army is coming, they're 40 miles away and they're heading our way, right? Right. And so then the lead tantric couple of the town would go into a room and begin practicing their alchemy and they would create this huge field. This is the legend. Uh-huh. a huge field that would go around the entire village and hide it, it would turn invisible it would just be like part of the forest huh. and the army would march right by the town i mean these are legends i don't know if they're true or not but they're interesting uh-huh. because it, you know it shows that that the, you know what what they really mean by tantra and what what that really means and what alchemy is and so alchemy is replete with these you know kind of sexual um drawings and, and and things, and people thought you know what are these uh, guys a bunch of uh you know sexual perverts or something and it's like no you know they're 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 practicing a form of tantra you know in Catholic Europe, where this is very very frowned on, and so they have to mask it inside obscure language and hmm. uh, and if you read a lot of the alchemical text with what I'm telling you in mind, you'll begin to understand what they're saying.
0: Well, I've got to tell you something else that's sort of funny here. You'll get a kick out of this. I got an email, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, and I posted it on my forum so I wouldn't forget. And I didn't forget, and I'm glad because I brought it up right now. And I'm at the website right now, and I might as well say it because it's so damn funny. i got to do it. The website is globalorgasm.org. <laughs> Globalorgasm.org. Now listen to this, Jay. Uh, the Globalorgasm.org mission statement, and this is no, this is no kidding. The mission of the Global Orgasm is to affect change in the energy field of the Earth through input of the largest possible surge of human energy. Now that there are two more U.S. fleets heading into the Persian Gulf, blah blah blah. I'm not going to do the political stuff, but anyway, they basically say that um, uh, this is the first annual solstice solstice synchronized global orgasm for peace. Leading up to the December solstice of 2012, they want to do this every year. Unbelievable. And and so this year on the 22nd, they're asking everyone to somehow <laughs> have an orgasm on the uh, 22nd of December. And I say, wait, that's a pretty damn good idea. But
3: uh, well, it sounds fun. But you, um, <laughs> the only problem with it is that if you if you have an orga- uh, orgasm, you are you're expending your stones. Ah, and you don't want to do that. You know that's that's not what you want to do. Tantra is a, is quite disinterruptive.
0: Right, it, it tries to hold that back.
3: Yeah, you don't want to do that. In fact, you don't want to do that at all if you're a male, um, if you can avoid it. I mean, it's very important to to not release yourself and to because the stone at the base of the spine b- uh, builds up a charge. And um, that charge is induced by this kind of. Um, this is why you know celibacy was a big thing among among mystics because it wasn't that they didn't like women or they didn't like sex. It was that they were trying to build up this charge. What tantra does in sexual tantra is it reverses the whole thing and says, okay, we're going to have it and we're going to build it. You know that <clears throat> you know that electricity. Is basically comes from friction. It, whether it's a big wheel being turned by a waterfall or wind or atomic energy, and it builds up a, a huge layer of friction or static charge, which is then transduced into a transformer and goes in and powers the radio and the lights. Okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you know, the human body has an electromagnetic field also. And when you are doing tantra, coitus interruptus tantra, um, you're building up a huge friction charge, and it's at the base. That's why it's so important. It's a a friction, static, piezoelectric charge at the base of the spine, which ignites the spine, and it will either ignite the spine or it will result in an orgasm. Mm -hmm. And um, and of course, it either goes one way or the other. sorry. it goes one way. <laughs> either way, it's going up.
5: <laughs>
3: and uh, this is this is you know they've done you know this is this is what this is what, where life comes from. The, the each 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 sperm cell is, is a is a highly charged, electromagnetically charged um, organism, and uh, and so this is where life comes from and this is where, so in, in, in alchemy you're reversing that flow, and again you don't need to practice this in a sexual way at all, um, but you do have to work on this, you have to visualize it, you have to make it happen, and it would probably behoove you to learn some yoga, maybe, um, there's there's other things. Uh, that you can learn that will help induce this but you know John is right when he says that meditation is mm-hmm. is a primary prerequisite to this and i think just calming the whole body down and imagining it in your head that this thing is happening that you do have a charge at the base of your spine and that you can make it go up the spine and light the pineal gland that in itself will cause immense
0: you know, benefit for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, look, we're right about the bottom of the hour. Let's uh, take a breather, all right? Yep. Okay, everybody, you've had it uh, for almost two hours with Jay Weidner. and we'll have another half hour, at least with Jay. And um, come back in just a few minutes. Okay, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. It's about 1.30 in the AM right now. And... Uh, this is a song from Lucas, again, Lucas Klotzbach, and we'll listen to it right now. This one is called Another Rant, perfect for me and Jay. So, anyway, back in just a few, it's Mike, you listen to Radio Orbit, KOPN, Columbia. <laughs> Lucas Klotz back one more time On Radio Orbit You're listening to it It's Mike It's about 1.35 in the a.m. now On the 19th of December Tuesday morning Closing in on the winter solstice Of 2006 Six short years away from uh, The 2012 alignment that John Talks about And uh that is tied into so much of the conversation that's been going on these days. So, anyway, my guest is Jay Widner, and you can find uh, information about Jay on the web at www.jaywidener.com, And uh, we'll get right back to him. Hey, Jay, how are you?
5: I'm doing good.
0: Good. Thanks for sticking around. Oh
3: yeah.
0: What's happening there? I got people on the on on the chat room here saying, "Man, the winds are blowing now here. We're getting the." Oh,
3: no. Actually, it is heading your way on the storm, so um, I think it's going to sweep across the United States, and uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, uh, all right, let's see. uh, More stuff here with regard to the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, 2012 The Odyssey. Armageddon is not what it used to be. Please expand.
3: Yeah, um, let's see. Well, Armageddon, you know, is this idea that the whole world is going to collapse in a in a disastrous war mm. that's going to happen, and I, that, the way things look, that could happen. But I think what we're saying in the film is that we can avoid this if we so desire, and we. And, and, and it comes from Moira Timms, and she's trying to say that. It's, it's archetypal it's coming from us and we can choose extinction or enlightenment mm-hmm. and we have to it, it's our choice so Armageddon is not what it used to be is yes there is an end but is it going to be a disastrous end or is it going to be an enlightened end right. and it's our choice and I think that's really the whole point of why uh, I was involved in the film because I'm trying to put this Choice out there so that we can all see it in a, as clear a manner as it can be presented I think
0: and yeah. and back to this idea of, of, of the stone and alchemy and what we were speaking about before the break mm-hmm. this the rising of the serpent that I mean is an ecstatic future
3: yes and that's the future that I'm I think is we're whats what is what we're all trying to construct right now it's that kind of future and um that's what i mean when i say all the secrets will be released and uh it goes back to tony bushby's uh books uh the secret in the bible which is about the capstone that sits on top of the pyramid which has the the vortex flame in the middle of it Mm. uh where the hebrew letters are formed from and what hyperdimensional space is and and um And this is why things like the Bible Code actually do make interesting predictions using, you know, the alliteration of of numbers Mm -hmm. and and letters. And I think that that is, you know, what was happening here is that we are beginning to communicate again with the other. And And the other is a hyperdimensional landscape, which we have been in communication with before, that we... Because of the rise and fall of the ages, the rise and fall of time, we fall in and out of communication with the other, and we are now beginning to come back into communication with the other, and through that all the secrets are Mm -hmm. being released, the secrets that have not been preserved by secret societies because they don't like us, they've been preserved by secret societies because we wouldn't have understood it anyway. Mm. And now we
0: we can so the people that are releasing secrets in this and that, uh, Tony Busby and these other people whoever, I mean I'll, I'll, I mean I guess we're all sort of a part of it to a certain extent, yes. um, where how, how do they we you do it, in other words, if it's so dangerous, why are we still breathing?
3: um well it's 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 not dangerous per se it's dangerous you know it it's dangerous depending on the time that it happens. So thirty years ago it was extremely dangerous, mm-hmm. but now it's not so dangerous anymore. Why? Because of what you're talking about with with the tryptamines and things that have softened up the edges and made it made it easier and more palatable. For us to accept mm. the other, mm. and um, now that it is happening, we realize that it isn't the devil or 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 it isn't demonic, although there may be a devil, and there are definitely demons. Um, but you know sometimes the angelic can appear to be demonic. Um, because we're ignorant. Mm. And so where is it coming from? It's coming from the other. The other is in direct communication with us. But Fulcanelli is telling us in his book, he's saying that that he's, you know, a member of a group and that he's he's, you know, testing the boundaries of his oaths
5: mm-hmm. by
3: telling you the things that he's telling you. Right, right. And his oaths are to the other. They're to these forces that say, you know, okay, we don't want, you know, this to get out right now because it isn't time, it isn't ready, you know. And so now, and starting in 1957 when he added the Henday chapter to Mystery of the Cathedrals, that's when the other started coming back in.
0: Wow. Same
3: time as Morning of the Magicians was published about four or five years later which really started the whole thing.
0: You know, Jay, this whole idea of you know of time and when you said, well, it's it may be dangerous, it's not the fact that it's dangerous, it's, it's the time that's dangerous, when it can be when it's not re- when it's not dangerous and when it is, right? right. So I think it's important that we for for all the scientifically minded people out there, you know, there's this idea that time really doesn't matter in science I mean that's sort of the base one of the one of the primary assumptions of science the way it's practiced in the West is that time really doesn't matter you can do an experiment any on a Saturday morning or a Tuesday afternoon or whatever and it doesn't matter this is the fundamental problem or one of the big uh, the big misses of modern science maybe so Maybe you could talk a little bit more about this because, yeah, I mean, it has to happen at the right time. And when, right. and when everything's lined up, whatever that yeah. means, the stars well, well, and everything, well, bingo.
3: Yeah, a cold fusion is a perfect example of this. Hmm. Um, you can do a um, cold fusion experiment in New York City and it doesn't work. So, therefore, cold fusion doesn't work. And then some will take and do it up on Pike's Peak in Colorado um, you know, on a Sunday at 2 in the afternoon, and it works. Huh. And, and and so they say, well, I don't understand because the data is completely different than your experiment. Science is about repeatability, and so we could say that science is uh, alchemy that can happen at any time. In other words, a repeatable experiment. Alchemy is uh, understanding that some things can only take place at certain times. Right, right, And so alchemists are watching time to figure out exactly when it is the right time to do their experiments. This is the basis of astrology. This is the, Rick, um, in, in, in the video, Quantum Astrology, Rick Levine talks about um, uh, certain types of c- uh, copper sulfates that, that change when uh, Mars is closer or Mars is further away from the Earth. Mm-hmm. And this, this is true. This is verifiable. you know, And so this just flies in the face of scientific materialism and proves beyond any shadow of a doubt that the time that an experiment takes place is just as important as the experiment itself. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's a guy in uh, New Zealand, Bruce Cathy, Mm-hmm. And he insists yeah. to me that, you know, atomic explosions mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. only take place at certain times
5: mm-hmm. yeah, and could.
3: at certain places. And yeah. so yeah. only Hiroshima Nagasaki and only certain areas in the South Pacific are, are places that nuclear explosions can take place and that this is the real reason why there was never a Cold War that actually reached, uh, you know, in, into the nuclear pocket. And... And you know, I think he's onto something there. I really am. And, and I think that they know the upper, upper realms of science know that the time of the experiment is just as important as the rest of it. Remember, these things only operate on atomic and subatomic levels. They don't really operate in a Newtonian mm-hmm. universe. Mm-hmm. And so most of science is built on Newtonian principles. And although Newton was an alchemist, and was studying the, variabil- the variations and the variability of time. He, you know, he, the, the universe he constructed was a repeatable universe. Mm-hmm. It could be repeated any time. Gravity was always the same. Actually, gravity is not always the same. There could be no Jurassic Park today, not like in the movie. The reason is is that the spinal column of a T. Rex or a Brachiosaurus would collapse. This is what all paleontologists will tell you, that they would collapse uh, it, by the gravity. So gravity during the Jurassic time was less than it is now. So gravity itself is a variable. And, um, and so there may be more gravity today than there was 100 years ago. We don't know. We can't test it. Um, there may be less gravity than there was. Maybe that's why people are getting taller now. Um, So none of this is is engraved in stone, excuse the pun. (laughs) Uh, It's it's all about variability and watching those variables and then constructing your experiments based on those variables.
0: Right, right, right. So again, and we come full circle, and this is what calendars like the Mayan calendar allow you to do that calendars like the one we use typically do not allow you
3: to do. Exactly. They're watching... That's why there's 19 or 20 different Mayan calendars. What, are they crazy? They had 19 calendars? It's like, no, man. They're watching the Venus cycle. They're watching the moon cycle. They're watching the sun cycle. They're watching the Mars cycle. They're watching every cycle to determine right when that point, when they all uh, concretize, and that point is December 21st, 2012. And that's what John's work has shown.
0: Yeah, which is outrageous.
3: Yes, it is outrageous. It's incredible, in fact. And it's it's a miracle that it, we've discovered this.
0: It really is something else. It, yet, yet it was put there for us to discover, obviously. That's right.
3: That's exactly right. It was. That's why they made it out of stone. Hmm. It wouldn't disappear.
0: Hmm. Yep. Something else, man. It All is. right, so, um, you know, I wonder what it's like down there right now, like in a place like Izapa. I mean, are there, is it... Is it ruins or are there? Is it is it populated? I wonder.
3: Yeah, it's it's, there's a lot of ruins and you know there's a very very poor you know population that's being um, you know has a horrible dictatorship in Guatemala and there's a lot of death squads and life is not good.
0: You know, and there's a horrible thing happening right now in in uh, Oaxaca.
3: Yeah, Oaxaca. Which
0: which is you know where Maria Sabina came from.
3: That's right. Yeah, a lot of people don't, you know, you may know about, about the Reconquista Movement.
0: The Reconquista Movement, yeah. yeah. okay,
3: so <laughs> what's going on, of course, for those who don't know, is that, you know, the Mexicans are, uh, are, are saying that they want to reconquer the Southwest United States because it used to be Mexico. Yeah,
0: they call it Aslan Oz, or something yeah, like so that. Yeah, they're using
3: Mayan names. If you look at the, at the leaders of this movement on the web, you'll find that you don't know their real names. Because they're all using Mayan names. Uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah. So they're, they're using the Mayan calendar to foment their reconquest of the United States. Mm-hmm. And this is something that everyone should you know, pay very close attention to. Right, right, right. <laughs> Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, I'm not going to, we'll, we'll leave it we'll at that. Don't go into it, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got to tell you something else that I've been meaning to tell you. And I came across this on a fluke. Uh, instance of synchronicity alright and you're going to love it uh, September 22nd of course right Yeah. Th- that date's relevant in your book yep. September 22nd 1898 which is what a hundred years before you released the book wasn't it 98 that you released yep. the book guess who was born on September 22nd 1898 I don't
3: know who Robert Gordon Wasson no really <laughs> Wow, that's awesome!
0: No kidding. And, <laughs> and, and, de- and died December twenty third, right around the solstice in nineteen
3: eighty
0: six. Amazing. Yep. And yeah. so I wanted to say I, I don't have a show between now and uh, and and Gordon's birth or death date, but I wanted to to, to put a uh, you know just a recognition out there to Gordon Wasson who was so amazing and and who uh, shared the mushroom with us, you Absolutely, know.
3: Absolutely, and brought uh, everything that we know to us. Cause he's the one that found maria sabina
0: so. that's right down there in oaxaca
3: yeah that's right and all this is you know it's no accident the whole thing it's just all of it's playing out in some gigantic theatrical you know thing and we just have to kind of kick back and watch it and say wow you know so the whole thing is happening in mexico that's happening in the united states it's happening around the world uh, you know they're all the whole thing whether it's political spiritual it's It's this huge fulcrum that's turning quickly (laughs) towards the end of time.
0: My gosh. All right, another question from the web. Uh, They say, Mike, you've spoken a couple times about a new book that Jay's supposed to have with regard to alchemy and film. What's the status?
3: Uh, Well, Alchemical Cinema is the name of the book. um, And it is picked up by a publisher, but unfortunately I'm trying to get Several film companies to release stills of their movies to use in the book and and uh, while most are cooperating, many are not yet cooperating because they think the book's too off the wall, and they're not sure they want to be associated with a book that's saying that uh, the things that, that this book is saying, but slowly the tide is turning I'm getting several people that are very big in Hollywood to help me out right now, and I think 2012, the Odyssey is going to help get the film companies to release some of the imagery that I'm going to need to be able to describe the alchemy of cinema, and it's a very exciting book, and the few people that have read it just love it. Hmm. Uh, uh, so it was supposed to have been out a year ago, and now it's supposed to be out right now, hmm. and they're still playing some games with me. I don't want to say who it is because I don't want to offend them, but, you know, um,
0: Well, we're looking forward to it, that's all. Yeah, exactly. All right, and um, uh, let's see. I've got a couple other things that I want to get in before the bell here. Uh, Okay, we've talked quite a bit about 2012, but you're already talking about a sequel, and uh, people have heard me mention that you and Dennis are in contact. They want to know if Dennis is going to be in the sequel.
3: Absolutely. He's already agreed. We're going to go out to Vancouver and uh, film an interview with him about... Time Wave Zero and the entire matrix of the I Ching moon cycle that he and Dennis or Terrence uh, unfolded in Invisible Landscape. Right,
0: again an- another moon calendar. Yep, exactly embedded exactly. in the I Ching that nobody knew about.
3: Nobody ever figured <laughs> out that the I Ching was talking about the oh moon cycle. Oh my God! Yeah, and which is really why we dedicated the film to Terence because we think that's just one of the most profound things that's ever been discovered. And again, you know, he's unfolding the matrix of reality through this calendar, which is what the I Ching is really doing. And only Terrence figured that out, Terrence and Dennis. And so mm-hmm. Dennis has been agreed. He loved the film. Mm-hmm. And he's. I never knew it. I guess he's a big fan of mine. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I got so excited when he told me he was a fan of mine of it. Didn't know what to say. I was like stunned, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's going to be in the film, and uh, that should be about a year from now. We have got a couple other things. We're working on a film called Infinity, which is about life after death, and we're working on our Moon film and the sequel.
0: All right. Well, you you brought up the last thing that I've got to cover: the Moon thing. People are dying to hear more about the. You, you mentioned it last time you were on the program that some outrageous things about the moon and people did not miss it and they said, hey, ask Jay about this whole moon business. What's going on up there and when is he going to tell us more about it?
3: Mm. Well, you know, at the end of the day there is nothing stranger than the heavens or on earth than the moon and uh, there's nothing that should not be more than the moon. The moon governs Uh, The the moon and the moon's revolution around the earth is what creates the procession of the equinoxes. It is what creates our seasons because it holds the earth on its tilt. Mm -hmm. And um, life itself would not be here if it wasn't on, on the land, if it wasn't for tidal action of the moon. And so... The, you know, we would not be here on Earth if there wasn't a moon. The moon and the Earth are like a gigantic barbell. That uh, The moon does not revolve around the Earth. The Earth and the moon are on an axis point, and they spin around each other. Mm-hmm. Very important to understand all this. Okay. And when you begin examining... NASA photographs of the moon, you reach the disconcerting proposition that the moon is not a planet. Uh, there's just too many things going on that don't make any sense. For one thing, the moon is hollow. And um, th- this is a given. There's no doubt the moon is hollow and i mean not just like a, a small hollow core i mean it's hollow it is a 20 miles down there's a gigantic steel metal plate in the moon and then it's hollow all the way through
0: so and, and and
3: so this is this is you know very troubling to nasa and they don't know what to do about it they don't know how to tell us in other
0: words steel plate as in it's it's something that's art that that's been manufactured.
3: It's a manufactured object. It was brought here by someone to create us. It was brought here to create the conditions of life, to create atmosphere, to create tidal action. But more than that, you know, the the moon is is one four hundredth the size of the sun and it's exactly one four hundredth the distance between the earth and the sun.
0: Yeah, there's some weird uh, uh, geometric ideas that tie in with the moon and the sun and all these distance relationships, aren't there?
3: Uh, Yeah, and the thing is is that the moon is drifting away from the earth, so the only time in the entire history of the earth-moon system that this relationship, this 400th relationship has ever been in existence is right now. So only right now is the Moon 1 400th the distance between Hmm. the Earth and the Sun, which means when the Moon passes in front of the Sun, they're exactly the same same size. size. Now this is probably the most astonishing coincidence, you know, in, in all of the planetary systems of the universe, and uh, we don't give it a second thought, you know. Also.
0: Did Kubrick know that when he was doing all the eclipse stuff in 2000?? Absolutely.,
3: absolutely. There's no doubt about it. The, the moon's also weird. I mean, when the um, when the right now at the solstice, when the sun reaches its furthest point south up here in the north, that is, which is going to do in three days from now, mm-hmm. the moon, Will reach its furthest place Morning, north, or north. Okay. and when the Sun at the summer solstice reaches its furthest place north the moon reaches its furthest place south hmm. so the moon and the Sun are acting like gravitational um, gravitational machine that's pulling and pushing us and it's, it's, it's
0: and it's like it's, this complex balancing thing
3: Yes, and it's, and it's beyond a coincidence and it's be, it, it is designed. Mm-hmm. And once, you know, this is why we went to the moon. They knew all this, they couldn't figure it out. And Jack Parsons, who was one of the creators of NASA, you know, was a, a student of Alistair Crowley and he, he, he started the JPL and, <laughs> and he was obsessed with the moon. He said, once we go to the moon and we find out the truth, uh, we're going to come back with the knowledge and we're going to destroy this world. This is what he said. I've read all of his books. And and he died in a mysterious explosion. And L. Ron Hubbard swiped his wife and started Scientology. And so, you know, even the origins of NASA are are, are caught up in this kind of
5: mm-hmm.
3: murky, occult thing that has to do with the moon. So anyway, the moon is artificial, and it is completely um, put there by someone, by the cosmic engineers, by alchemists, by... Alchemy itself could not exist without the moon. And this is all unfolding right now, and that's why we haven't been back to the moon. Um, we're, we're either, A, not allowed to go back, or B... We keep going back and forth, secret secretly trying to find out the truth of the moon, and I think it's probably the latter. I think we've probably gone to the moon several times.
0: Yeah, it's because the whole uh, the whole go back to the moon business is, is 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 lunacy. Pardon the pun, but because you know it's been. What's it been thirty years or something? And now they say they're going to go back in twenty eighteen. Give me a break! It's twelve years from now.
3: Yeah, that's hogwash. A, a broken economy. They're going to spend a hundred and or two hundred and forty billion dollars to go back to the moon, and there's really no. They're not going back to the moon with mm. conventional spacecraft anyway. That's right. ridiculous. So you know the you know the. It's, I've uh, seen
0: some funky photos, Jay, of of. Uh, of square, what look like buildings, basically, from yep. from the Cassandra uh, uh, satellite. I mean, these are photos that come right from the, yep. from the Cassandra website.
3: Oh, no, there, there's things on there that are so mind-blowing. Um, I have seen things, uh, pictures that I just... Uh, when I first got into this in 1991-92, when I was first hanging out with Hoagland, um, I, you know, I would be up all night looking at NASA <laughs> photographs and going, you know, you've, you've got to be kidding me. You know, you know, it's like the story of the <laughs> shamans that see the ships coming into shore right, and right. they think they're mountains, right, right. right? Well, you know, you're looking at, you don't know what you're looking at and you have to keep looking at it and keep looking at it. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. you realize what you're really looking at oh, and it's like, I mean, you have got to be kidding and uh um and and you know, nobody knows what to say about it, no one knows what to do about it, and it really has never been presented in the right way, um, but it's going to be very soon. If, if not by us and by someone else.
0: Hey, hang on just a second. Uh K O P N Columbia, it's two AM and a couple of minutes. It's my to radio orbit, and it's eighty nine point five FM. All right, sorry, Jay. Um so Amazing stuff. So you're working. You got you, you got quite a few irons in the fire.
3: Well, I just somebody has to has to take this thing all the way to the end. And uh, as a friend of mine says, Jay, if it isn't you, there's five guys on the bench waiting to take your place. So I <laughs> you know, it's like okay.
0: <laughs> well, you're doing a you're doing an amazing job, Jay, and I'm so. Uh, I'm so pleased to be uh, able to have a conversation with you and stuff, and it's so great to share this stuff with other people because it really is amazing the stuff that you bring uh, that you bring to us. So
3: well, it's my pleasure.
0: All right, look, we're uh, a little bit overdue here but uh it's no problemo. What do you want to say to finish things up? We got we got, we're really under no time constraints, so uh if there's anything you want to finish up with or uh
3: Oh uh, well let's see. Um History is a race between education and disaster, and I suggest that everyone educate themselves as quickly as you can and uh, get with it. And Whatever you do, don't, be, don't let conspiracy mongers frighten you and don't let the television and Fox News scare you. Um, don't let the Bush administration scare you. Uh, the last thing that you need right now is fear. Huh. Now is the time for you know cool, calm, collected look at what's happening, and um, it doesn't hurt though to um, store a little food, uh, a little bit of water, take care of your family, and uh, get ready for the wild ride of the next six years because nobody can predict what's about to happen. No one.
0: No
1: doubt about it.
3: Yeah.
0: All right. Well, I'll uh, leave it at that. Okay, Jay. All right, man. Take care of yourself. Talk soon. Talk to me. Bye. All right, everybody. It's Jay Widener, J-A-Y-W-E-I-D-N-E-R.com on the web. Wonderful stuff from Jay, of course, and uh, you'll be able to connect with him through my site, obviously, from here on out. Just amazing and uh, uh, remarkable guy, Jay Widener, is doing outrageous stuff. He was doing great work 10 years ago, and it's just getting better and better and more and more intense, and he just... uh, Really get the pedal to the metal. And that's what we've got to do. Uh, we've got to be pushing the pedal on art, creativity, imagination, alchemy, our own personal alchemy. That's what it's all about. All right, so speaking of that, my friend Lucas does his alchemy with a guitar and a harmonica. And so we'll hear one more from him on the way out here. And uh, I'll be back with you next week. Uh, the 25th of December, Christmas, we'll do a special show on the history of Christmas with Jan Irvin and his partner, Andrew Rudia, okay? And uh, they're also the authors of Astrotheology and Shamanism and the producers of the wonderful film, The Pharmacratic Inquisition, all right? We'll be back with them next week on Christmas. All right, one more time, it's Mike, you've been listening to Radio Orbit, and once again, thanks to Jay Widener and John Jenkins for uh, spending a little time with us and Rick Levine before that, okay? We'll catch all of you next week. This is... As Though a Stranger Lucas Klotzbach KOPN Radio Orbit Talk to you next week